Welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan, and I was born and raised in 3HO. I started this podcast with several intentions, and I read them at the beginning of every episode. Number one, to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or who have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural appropriation, and exploitation that perpetuates the teachings 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor each and every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. And number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other therapy and support as needed, to draw your own conclusions and to be critical thinkers rather than to just blindly follow anyone. Please remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. On today's episode, I would like to welcome our guest, BB Bonnie Kalsa. She joined 3HO in 1970 in Columbia, Maryland. She landed in Phoenix, Arizona the following year and has lived there ever since, except for a brief time in Heber, Arizona. She's a musician who has made several recordings over the years. She spent time in LA and Española under Yogi Bhajan's direction. She taught Kundalini Yoga for many years, but never transitioned to become a teacher trainer. 
She has two children who both went to school in India. She decided to leave 3HO and seek Dharma last summer after learning of the widespread corruption and criminal acts committed and perpetuated by Yogi Bhajan. I'd like to welcome Bibi Bhani. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It's my pleasure, my blessing. I'm so excited. Um, I want to just say I know you, so this is really fun. You know, obviously, I was born in the Phoenix community, and so you've known me since I was born, and it's very exciting for me to have you come here to share your story. Um, will you share us with us why you feel it's time and why you're here sharing your story today? Well, I have been a huge fan of this podcast. <laughs> I listen to every single episode. I've just been like so drawn to hear these stories um, and they have just really kind of opened up something in me just to hear everyone's perspective. Um, I found that I can relate to and identify with something in every single one of them, first generation, second generation, whether they're from Mexico, Europe, United States, so, you know, wherever they're from, people I knew, people I didn't know, but, you know, they all resonate with me somehow. And, you know, I had, I had a long history at the HO and um, started close to the very beginning. And, and there are a lot of people who maybe are not so aware of things that happened in the very beginning and how things started. So I'd like to particularly share that part and kind of um, let people know a little bit about the, my story from the beginning. Um, you know, I feel that stories are just the most powerful way to communicate and get a, a point across. You know, like if you try to tell somebody you should believe this or this happened or, you know, don't do that, don't do this. It's, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it's not a personal experience. So I think that's why, like Premka's, um Pamela's book was so powerful is because she was just sharing her personal experience and, um, it wasn't, you know, she wasn't vilifying or condemning. She was just saying, this happened to me. And then people can draw their own conclusions. So I think that's why, that's why the podcast and, and people telling stories is so powerful because people can just take from it, you know, what resonates with them and make their own decisions, come to their own conclusions about what they believe from what they hear. So and I just think that this is just a wonderful platform and I am just so proud of you for doing this, <laughs> knowing you since you were a baby. <laughs> and <laughs> I used to take care of you when you were a baby. They probably don't remember. But, uh, and I, I never knew your whole story until you shared. I mean, it's, it's so amazing that, you know, we knew these people, we lived with these people for decades, and we didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. And it's like, wow, you know, I mean. <laughs> Isn't I that astounding, yeah, right? So, so, you know, it's, it's just been such a great revelation that we can, you know, now kind of put all the pieces together, like you say, the puzzle pieces. I mean, all the people that people mention in the podcast, I'm like, oh, I knew that person. I was there. I'm like, oh, and that's not what really happened. You know, it's, it's you know, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so, I want to just say thank you so much for pointing all of that out. I got tingles so many times when you were talking about the impact of what a story offers us because it's a glimpse into each other's worlds which then awaken parts of us that have might 
might have been forgotten or in slumber. And it, it creates this tapestry internally and externally that A, can create a level of closeness, but also a level of healing through each other's experiences and um, shared vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah, yeah, just, um, and you know, I've, I've never been one to, to kind of speak up and speak out before, I've always kind of been the one just kind of in the background and let someone else talk, and so, you know, I feel like it's time for me to <laughs> raise my voice and speak out and speak up. <laughs> well, for that, I'm proud of you. Um, I'm very excited to hear hear your story and for you to share with us today. Yeah. And um, and yeah, for listeners to get perspective, you know, Bibi Bonnie was pregnant at the same time as my mom with their sons, which is, you know, one of my brothers. And so, you know, the history, the familiarity, you taking care of me as a baby, to me, this speaks to the real richness that our community has offered historically, but then also, like you're saying, that you can be so close and in such pro proximity for so many years and absolutely not what know what's going on inside their everyday life. So it's kind of like that double, that double good and like, what? How is that possible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just finished reading the book Becoming by Michelle Obama. Hmm. And in the very last, um, lines of her epilogue there was a couple of sentences that just like totally seemed uh that express how i feel and how i feel about sharing stories in this podcast so i'd like to just read those I before that. i start my story um says there is power in allowing yourself to be known and heard in owning your unique story and using your authentic voice and there's grace in being willing to know and hear others this for me is how we become. Like, <laughs> it's like perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, well, thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for listening and letting these stories impact and unravel you. I think that's a part of the courageous work that each of us have to allow in, you know. And um, and then thank you for raising your voice and being here with us to share. So start where you'd like to start. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I would like to give a little backstory about my, you know, growing up years to show how I was, um, you know, susceptible to becoming involved in what I know now is a cult. And um, so, I grew up in, in uh, mostly in Lexington, Massachusetts, on the East Coast. And, um, you know, my family was... Uh, I have two sisters, uh, one older, one younger, so I'm a middle child. And um, there were some difficulties in my family. My mother had some mental illness issues, and it led to her kind of keeping me away from having a real good relationship with my father. So, you know, that was kind of missing in my growing up and adolescence years of, of being close to my father. So, you know, I think I was probably going looking for some father figure. Uh, but um, you know, I did I did um, I did get some help from a therapist who was um, and she really inspired me. So when I applied to college, I that was my goal was to become like a she was a psychiatric social social worker. And she, and uh, so 
I that was my goal was to become a psychiatric social worker when I <laughs> when I was in college. But you know things happened to change that. But um, so anyway, I I um, ended up applying to some colleges. My first choice was. Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio, which was kind of this liberal progressive college, and it had this unique kind of work-study program where you would alternate semesters working and studying to get more kind of real-world experience. And um, so I was actually put on the waiting list of that college, and I decided on another one. And then just before school was, you know, got ready to start, I got a letter and they were saying, well, we are opening another branch of Antioch in um, Columbia, Maryland, which is a, a uh, at that time was a very new kind of planned city <laughs> uh, right between Washington and Baltimore. And um, it was it was kind of the city built by this vision of this uh, Rouse, Rouse Corporation, Jim, Jim Rouse. And it was to kind of, you know, make like smaller neighborhoods and communities rather than kind of the urban sprawl that was happening to kind of plan things out where, you know, there could be a small little community, a little, little neighborhood, and then there'd be a store that you could just walk to or an open space that you had access to and, you know, to make it a little bit nicer place for people to live. So. Uh, they, some some reason, somehow, I don't know why, Antioch decided they would open a, a branch of their of their uh, college there. So they said, you can you can go to Antioch, Columbia, if you want. So I was like, okay, you know, it sounds good. So so it was a very uh, open kind of situation. We didn't have dorms. We <laughs> we all lived in apartments, and and we have there was one big old building that was our headquarters, that was the only old building in the whole town, I think. Um, but then most of our classes were at like professors' homes and and so it was, you know, it was very <laughs> like alternative school. I remember when I was looking for university and I found Antioch, it was like one of those alternative learning, yeah. independent learning environments. So I'm getting what you're putting down here. Right. So so yeah, so I I ended up there and uh, got through my first year um, you know, did some experimentation with drugs and things like that, as well as <laughs> trying to get my work done. And, uh, you know, I'd never been away from home much, and I was pretty naive about things. But, um, you know, I I got through the year. I actually, well, actually, during my childhood, just backtrack a little bit, you know, is one of, one of the things that kind of helped me to get through was uh, when I was about 15, I decided to take up guitar and I'd always like to sing so I started you know singing folk songs and and uh, that kind of thing Joan Baez and uh, Judy Collins and those people and and you know that was that was kind of my thing of my way to sort of express myself and my emotions and you know a, a channel for that and uh, but I never I never was would sing in public I was very shy about that you know I would only with just family and a few close friends but I never you know, I was too shy to sing out in public. So in college, I actually um, hooked up with a couple of people who were also musicians. We did a little bit of singing out in some coffee houses and stuff. So that was that was like a kind of big step for me to, to go a little more public with my singing. <clears throat> and um, I did have one, you know, I experimented a little bit with some psychedelics. And I had one uh, experience with a, a, a mescaline Trip, I believe that I well, it was actually a very spiritual experience, and I um, 
it was my first glimpse into anything spiritual. You know, I wasn't brought up with any you know, spiritual religion or anything. I didn't have any kind of experience with that. So I, um, but it was, you know, it was a thing where I sort of got into a space of, of kind of feeling fearful, but then just breaking through the fear and just kind of seeing that, you know, if you surrender, the one the oneness of everything. So it was just kind of this real um, kind of open eye-opening experience that, you know, everything is one and you just have to kind of get break break through your fear of, of feeling so separate. And so that was um, that was a that was a good experience. You know, all the drug experiences are not so great, but that was that was a good one. Uh, I had kind of a crazy roommate who <laughs> who uh, you know we did things together, but anyway, I got through my first year. Then the uh, that summer, um, I think I was still in Columbia. I didn't really want to go home, but then um, I, my friend of mine who I'd been playing music with, this man, um, he was a little bit older. And for the reason he, I think he was, I don't know if he was even in college there, but he was, <laughs> he was there, and he, you know, he kind of had a thing for me, and I, he knew I didn't really feel the same way, but we, we played music together and. And he he had gone to England to to uh, for the summer, and he was going to do some music over there. So he um, calls me up and says, "Well, you should come over. You know, this is a great place, and we can we can sing in some of the some of the clubs over here and stuff." And and so I I decided to why not? You know, um, you know, <laughs> nothing else to do. So I so I went home and earned some money, and my parents helped me pay for the rest, and flew to England and. It was in this little island off of Cornwall called the Silly Islands, and and uh, I know he ended up there, but anyway, so we can work at a restaurant here. So I got there. We did a couple of gigs, and then you know he found another girlfriend, and he ended up leaving. And so I uh, uh, I was still there, and I figured, well, I'll just make the best of it, you know. And I um, I ended up meeting this older man who. Uh, it, was into what he called sleep learning, where he would um, he would um, allow you to listen to these like recorded messages in your sleep, kind of the subliminal messages to to help you, you know, in in your life somehow. So um, I was at a different restaurant now. I had a roommate who I liked, uh, this older woman, and. And so, you know, I said, well, would you want to try this? You know, he, he had to like set it up in our room so we could, <laughs> we could listen to it at night. And so, so she said, fine. And so I, so we did this and, um, you know, I didn't have any particular experience right away, but then, um, I ended up, it was time to leave. I, she said, well, go stay up with my son in Coventry and his girlfriend. And so I, I went up there and, um, all of a sudden, I kind of had this revelation of like, because I've been, you know, kind of depressed and always feeling like, oh, I'm not happy and I'm worried about this and that and anxiety. And and all of a sudden, I just kind of came to this revelation that, well, you know, if you just kind of focus on the present moment, the here and now, that, um, you know, don't think about the past. Don't think about the future. Just be present, <laughs> you know. We don't know that. But I, you know, I never had realized that before. So somehow uh, I was able to do that. I believe that somehow that recording, that subliminal recording, has kind of helped touch that off in me. So that's, you know, it was something about, you know, you will find your true creative 
um, you know, path and that kind of thing. So, so you know, that it, it um, sort of opened something up in me. And I, I had to fly home shortly after that to go back to college. And I remember thinking as I was flying home, well, you know, I was into yoga. I, I did some yoga classes when I was in high school, and I really liked them. And maybe I should try yoga again, you know. So I got back to Columbia, and there, um, when I when I got there, someone said, you know, you know, there's some yoga classes going on over here. This new place opened up where they're teaching yoga, and I thought, oh, okay, I'm gonna try that. So it was um, a little like apartment kind of where. Um, they have these different apartment complexes. It was a small kind of downstairs apartment. And and I went in and there was this um, lovely lady there, just seemed so peaceful. She was wearing like this lavender leotard and these like cotton print pants and had her hair pulled back. And she sat there and, and she, you know, we, we did this this yoga, which, you know, was a little different than the yoga I'd done. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. And her name was Mary Taylor. And, um, and she had she informed me that her husband Bob Taylor was um, he was actually in um, prison in Pennsylvania, and the reason that they're in Columbia is because he was had to he had a work release program where he could drive down from from Pennsylvania to this um, program called Grassroots Program, which was like a drug rehabilitation type program. Go figure. Uh, <laughs> that he was he was working at, uh, and that's why they were had set up in in Columbia, and um, so I, I you know I was just totally in love with this. I mean they it just I you know right away it just it just really resonated something in me. Um, I remember they had this this um, little printed sheet, and it was it had on the Ekankar mantra. And it was kind of written, it was like this mandala, and it's Ekonkar Satnam City Wa Guru. It's Wa Guru, is how they said it then. And it said, chant this for 40 days, two and a half hours before the sunrise, and you will be liberated. I was like, whoa, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, doesn't sound too hard. So, <laughs> boom. Okay. So, so I, uh, you know, very soon I moved into the ashram. There was a couple of other women there, and it was just a fun situation. You know, we had these like Sunday feasts and stuff, and people would come, and there were some other people who came and taught. And um, it seems like very shortly, within like a month or two, they said, "Well, why don't you get up and teach this time?" So, you know. You sit up and teach the class. I was like, okay, you know. So it wasn't. We didn't have manuals. We didn't have kriyas. We didn't. It was like, you know, chant, chant. We did Om Namo, you know, chant Om Namo, and then it'll just come through you. Just do it, you know. So I was like, oh, sure. So, so you know, that was fun. And <laughs> and then, but then uh, finally, Bob um, was released from from prison, and um, and uh, just. Spoiler: He, like Bob Taylor, is also uh, AKA Gujot Singh, who, <laughs> who uh, oh, yeah. I didn't know. So, so anyway, he uh, he came back, and um, 
we ended up moving to a little larger space. There was about four women in the ashram at this point and one guy. And, you know, things were kind of different when he was there. He was like super serious and kind of stern and <laughs> it wasn't so much fun. <laughs> and, but I, you know, I kind of stuck it out. And, uh, you know, I started by this, by the second semester, by, you know, I'd gone to college, started my college semester in, in September. And then by uh, January, I was, when it was time to start second semester after, um, the holiday break, I was like, no, I don't think I want to go back to school. You know, what do I need school for? You know, I'm on a spiritual path. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Bob Taylor was Guru Jot Singh. Was, was Mary Taylor Guru Jot Carr, or is that somebody no, else? No, that was his first wife. God, um, first wife Mary, I don't know yeah. their story, so okay. Yeah, so anyway, um, so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't continue with college, and uh, ended up going out and doing house cleaning jobs to earn some money, and and uh, you know, I remember, um, I remember being like really constipated during that time for some reason. It's like I don't know, you know, I had this like it was, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was you know some kind of physical thing going on with that, which I don't know, but. Um, but uh, we, you know, I, we made it through the year. And then it was like we were talking. We were told that summer solstice was happening in June. So I was kind of like, yeah, summer solstice. You know, this sounds like a fun thing to do. It's, we knew it was going to be in Colorado, and so we were all planning to go. What year and is this? This is 1971. And, and you so changed your like, name yet, or no? No. So, uh, so we had, uh, okay, so then um, also uh, YD, Yogi Bhajan, had, had visited, because um, we would go to Washington, D.C., where Larry and Ganga were teaching, Sat Peter Singh, Sat Peter Carr were there too, I remember them, um, but, but um, he taught a, a class there, there was no time trick or anything at that time, but I remember him teaching a class that we went to in some big place, and and um, my memory of it is, is lying on the floor and having him walk around and walk on our backs. <laughs> yeah, so, All right. know. and then he did come to Columbia um, at one point and visit, and I remember Kremfu was with him, and, um, you know, he, he, he just seemed like, you know, this guy, this kind of, Awesome guy. So uh, we we went to uh, we went to Solstice in Peony, Colorado. This is the, the famous. We pause. You got to go back. He was this awesome okay. guy. Like, give us the feeling of what you well, were receiving. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think he was just very powerful. You know, and um, I mean, I didn't I didn't have a, a very clear picture of him at that point, but you know, he was the one that kind of was the, the one who had originated all of this, and um, so. You know, this was something that I felt like I was had signed on to, so I was, you know, keep kind of checking it out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, summer solstice was a was a was a kind of goal for us because you know things had gotten a little bit tense at the ashram. We could tell that Bob and Mary weren't getting along that well, and you know things were a little bit, <laughs> you know, uh, like I said, it was kind of serious. It was kind of serious and heavy vibes a little bit, but. But um, you know, I, I I was still doing the yoga and stuff, and and um, so we did. I remember, we drove to Solstice with um, 
Dr. Allen, he wasn't a doctor yet, but I think he was in med school. <laughs> he had a van, he drove down. <laughs> we all got piled in his van. And um, I don't know if Bob and Barry went with us, but some of the other people did. And so yeah, I had my little duffel bag and my cup tent and my guitar, and off we went. And <laughs> you know, by now, by then, I had started doing some chants and things on guitar, and and um, switched over from my melancholy folk songs. And <laughs> and uh, I went to Colorado, this beautiful place on top of a mountain, and we all set up our tents and. And it was it was not a huge wasn't a huge um, gathering you know by today's standards I guess probably a, few, a couple hundred people maybe um, we we did tantric it was a very he very heavy heavily physical type of tantric out in the blazing sun <laughs> um, you know I remember you know waking up in in Prasada, and then, you know, you've probably heard the stories about the, the irrigation canal that we, there's an irrigation canal running above the property that, and we would, um, we, if there were no showers, so we would all jump in this cold irrigation canal, or so I'm starting to <laughs> jump in and then jump out and dry off. <laughs> that was our morning cold shower. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> Um, I remember I met, I met Yogi Bud. I, he like looked at me, he shook my hand, and he said, "He said you are a destined student, you know." And, and I said, "Oh, cool, you know." And so, um, and you know, but I but I felt like, wow, this is a pretty cool situation. You know, everybody had people from all over, and it was kind of a lot of music and you know, fun and food, and and so it was it was a very um, you know enjoyable enjoyable time that summer um, but then one thing happened that um, where they decided one evening they, they said well we're gonna I think I kind of got wind of this beforehand but I'm not sure but, but what happened was that they they said well okay all the all the men are gonna line up on one side all the women on the other side and then we're gonna kind of match people off so to, to get married yeah so I was like, no way. I could in that. Like, no, I'm not ready to get married. I don't think I ever want to get married. Um, so I ran the other way when that happened. But I think there were several people who were matched up during that summer solstice who were quite well known. So <laughs> so yeah, so you know, that was kind of a thing. But I, you know, I was still not no, I don't want to get married. I, I'm not into that. So, but um, towards the end of a solstice, then I heard that there were going to be, there was a, a bus, someone's big school bus, you know, converted school bus type thing, that they were going to, they were going to uh, go down to Santa Fe for this like eight week yoga intensive, you know, and, and would I like to come to that? And I said, yeah, you know, why not? You know, nothing else to do. So. I hopped in the bus with my stuff and <laughs> drove down to New Mexico. And uh, this place was outside of Santa Fe, you know. I'm not sure exactly where it was. It was some property, no, no, way, way long before the Española ashram. Um, it was a, it was a kind of a desert place out in the desert, and I think it was owned by the couple Dawson and Karen Hayward, who were running this this intensive. 
They were early students of Yogi Bhajan. And they, um, so we all set up our little tents and we would go down to the Arroyo, to the wash in the morning, to do our morning sod outside and watch the sunrise. And we had different little classes during the day um, on, you know, how to cook, how to be a woman, this and that. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of the teachings, but some of the teachings were started. And, <laughs> and so um, all, there were some quite well-known people there. <laughs> like Bill and Celeste, who became Wygood and Singing Car, they were actually matched up during that summer, that little yoga course. They were, uh, I don't know if they chose to or they were kind of put together, but they were, I think, actually married that summer. Hmm. Um, there was another... Yeah, another young woman named Lakshmi, and they were pressuring her, pressuring her to get married to this guy named Marshall. And I, she didn't want to. She was, she was. They were like, "No, you have to do this. You have to do this." And and you know, I helped her make her wedding dress, and yet, but she was, she was not happy about it. I'm sure the marriage didn't last, but they made her get married. And so I was still, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not for me. You know, I'm never going to do that. So, <laughs> uh, so we got through the summer, um, and you know it was it was fun. I mean, there's people there. There's like like uh, Gurnam Bhajan Card um, Ramane, I guess she's called now Claudia, um, and her little boy Tai Chi. He was called now her Bhajan were were there. He was just like a little baby or toddler. Um, you know, several other people who were were. And, you know, still around, but um, anyway, it was, you know, it was a good time, and by the end of the summer, um, it was time to leave. I ended up going um, with one of the other people and driving to the West Coast and back to the East Coast. We did drive through Phoenix, I remember, in, in summer, and, and thinking, like, wow, this is <laughs> never come back here again. It's way too hot. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, so got back, got back home, and then um, I Columbia. I think I think Bob and Mary had kind of moved on to something else. They were either in in um, D.C. or maybe I know they were sent to um, Kansas City for a time. So you know, I think they Columbia Ashram had kind of disbanded at that point. But then I heard that there was this. Um, this intensive uh, course for um, artists and musicians in Tucson, Arizona. That um, I thought, well, that's perfect. You know, I, I want to go to that. You know, it was it was taught by the teacher there, Satnam Singh, in conjunction with the teacher from Phoenix, um, Bob Badan. And so. Uh, this is where I met your mother. <laughs> this is what my mom went to when she first yeah, got started. <laughs> there. And uh, so we went we went there. You know, it was, it was fun. You know, we, we did a bunch of singing. We went up to the mountains, up to Mount Lemon, and did part of our course up there. And, um, you know, just uh, I was kind of creative. Um, I can't remember all we did, but, you know, did yoga, did music, this and that. So, um, but then after, by the time it was over, um, you know, I said, what do I do now? You know, I, I didn't, 
I didn't relate so much to Satnam Singh, but I really liked Baba Don. I and mean, he was like, he was like this, he was older. Like we were like, you know, uh, 20 or something, and he was like almost 40. So he was like this old guy, you know, almost about the age of Yogi Bhajan, but he seemed like very, very wise and very, but he was also fun and creative. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> so your, your mom and I, I think we kind of decided that together. He's like, yeah, let's go to Phoenix. That's where it's at. So, so we decided to move to the Phoenix ashram. So um, ended up there. It was pretty small at that point. Um, just a few people. Um, there was, uh, and you know, at this point, um, he was called Baba Don. And he was giving people names, and so all the guys were Babas. <laughs> so, yeah, there's Baba Lee. That was your dad. My and dad became Baba Lee. Uh, so they Baba just started Lee. adding Baba to their first names, right? <laughs> and, and Go ahead and tell us some of the names. Baba Lee. Baba John. Baba John that was um, my future husband. He became Baba Siri Das and then Baba Siri Singh. And then there was Baba Mark and Baba, um, there's one other guy, I think it was named like Tori or something. I, but I'm not sure, I can't, don't remember him real well. And there's a few women there. We had like a Shakti room, they called the Shakti room. And then the, the, the Shiva room, I think they called it, was like the upstairs kind of attic place where all the guys stayed. <laughs> and so, uh, but there were always people coming through because he was always teaching like courses, you know, it was before a teacher training, but this was kind of like that version of teacher training where you come to Phoenix and you learn about Kundalini Yoga and then you can go out and teach it, teach it, you know, I mean, there was no official teacher training then where you have to get certified or anything. It was just, you know, learn some yoga and then go teach. So um, there was a lot of people coming through and, and he'd always do fun, creative things, you know, like I remember one time, um, he said, okay, so today, um, today, um, every time you say the word me, I, mine, you have to lie down on the floor and do the grace of God meditation. <laughs> Which, you know, I, the grace of God that you lay on the floor and the grace of God. But, you know, just, just things like that, that, you know, we're like, okay, because it made you conscious of, of you know thinking saying saying the words me my mine and the ego and this and that but you know he was always coming up with something fun so you know I liked it and you know we did singing and music and yeah I was just gonna ask will you tell us where the ashram was um, and describe that okay. a little bit yes. like uh, yes. because yes. I just got my last trip there this past March um, cutting. Uh, my stepmom, she brought me on a tour. Uh, and oh, was, right. and so I want you to give the listeners a little taste because it was really okay. neat for me. Yeah, so this was, it was on um, actually um, southern, uh, well, kind of south part of Phoenix, uh, Second Avenue in Roosevelt. It was a kind of an old house, um, had a big front porch. I've driven by there several times too. I think they're kind of renovating the place now. I don't know, but. Um, yeah, the garage was, was changed just within the last year. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So, but um, you know, we would always eat, eat out, sitting on the front, the big wooden front porch. We just would lay out mats and we'd sit there and eat together. And we didn't have much money, so um, you know, sometimes we'd go to the grocery stores and we'd buy like the old second, you know, food that they were giving away, kind of thing. You know, that was like marked down to me. And there was like one guy who worked who had a job. <laughs> supported the whole ashram. 
and people kind of made fun of him because they're like he wasn't so into it you know he was working <laughs> so making fun of him so, for bringing in yeah, the money yeah, <laughs> it was crazy but um so but then it's then it went at some point um babadon says to me well um Okay, so, well, then let's, the, how, how I get my name, that's a good story. So one day, <laughs> and people got their names. Right, and just to get perspective for everyone listening, so in, in this little ashram, which is a house, so you're saying the men's quarters is one area, the women's, the Shakti room's in another, there's a space for, like, yoga teacher training, so yeah. people are coming in. This is kind of a major hub where kind of teacher trainings are happening, and because Baba Don's a creative, innovative fun teacher that this is like a little happening spot for new yogis okay. right, right and my dad's yeah. there and my mom's there at this time and then baba jo baba john is there okay so keep going yeah okay so um one day he said okay so um i'm just going to give people some some names just to for fun you know he said and he would just he just okay so you're uh, he, he started with the money, so you're Govinde, Mukande, Udhare, Akare, Hare, and Kareng, Nirambe, Akambe. And then, um, and then for some reason he said to, to me, he said, and you're BB Bonnie. And, oh, I can't <laughs> And, and then, um, I know he, he gave also your dad, Neri Tiare. I don't know if I could, and at that time, I'm not sure if it was the same time or not, but it, that was, that was a Shabbat that was, um, Vikram Singh was playing a lot at the time, Nere Tiare, and so he came up with that as a name for your dad, Nere Tiare, which means my beloved. So <laughs> fascinating. My mom tells me a different story that she chose that name, and then later he got the name. But anyways, that's her story to tell. <laughs> so fascinating maybe, to hear that Varadhan. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't, you know, I don't know. But um, so anyway, those. You know, after that, some some people were like, you know, it was it was just it was supposed to be just a temporary thing. It wasn't like this is your name. It was kind of like, you know, um, maybe yeah, maybe she was maybe she was given the name first. I don't know, but um, uh, it was it was um, just you know like a little exercise. But then you know afterwards, some people kind of thought, well, I kind of like that name, and I think that that your mom and myself kind of felt like. Well, I, you know, I think I'll, I'll keep that name. <laughs> so, so that's kind of how we got we got our names. And then he ended up giving he was given a different name eventually of Buddha Jagat. And you mean when Bhajan came in and started renaming people? Yeah. Then, then, it, then it was finally, you know, at, at some point it was like, well, Yogi Bhajan's the only one who can give names, you know. But it, but in the early days, it was kind of like, well, if Yogi Bhajan can do it, I can do it. You know, I can, I can. Uh, uh, you know, the teachers who were his teachers were just kind of emulating him and doing what he did, and he was giving names, so they were giving names, and you know. <laughs> and to give perspective, they were also marrying people, coupling right. people, right? So they were right, setting exactly. people up for marriages, giving names, kind of like like you said, and emulating that. So like Baba Don and Ganga, right? Pungit. Um, Pungit. Pungit. Sorry, Pungit. thank you. Pungit and Baba Don were like running the Phoenix teacher training, mm -hmm. kind of doing that kind of Yogi yeah. Bhajan role until Yogi Bhajan came in and kind of took over these roles a little, like when it got yeah. more specialized, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then so then he he uh, he was given the name Guru Jagat eventually, and and um, 
mean, some of the names, some of our names that that Bob Don or Kajagat had given, we we had we checked with with Yogi Bhajan about it. Like, is that okay to keep that name? Is that all right? And you know, my name was. So he said, "Yeah, Bibani's fine for you." And then some of the others were changed or modified a bit. So <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, but so pretty soon, Baba Don says to me, "Well, you know what? You're the perfect Shakti, and I think it's time you got married." And he said, "He said, go into the he says go into the Shakti room and don't come out till you decide who you want to marry." I'm like. <laughs> Wow. And then there was like, you know, like four guys in the ashram. And I'm like, oh, no. I don't <laughs> so I think somehow I got out of that one, you know. But then there was this thing of like, you were supposed to, the women were supposed to serve the man. And so you were supposed to give the, you know, you were assigned to someone to serve. So <laughs> you would give them a foot massage and you would take them yogi tea. And I don't think it was too reciprocal. I think it was mostly the woman to the man kind of thing, you know. <laughs> I, well, what I heard, that was definitely what it was. My mom describes yeah, yeah. nightly foot massages, right, yeah, like serving my dad before they got before being yeah. coupled. <laughs> yeah, so first I was put with this guy who was Baba Mark at the time. And then somehow... Um, it was switched to, to me being with Baba John. And um, so I, you know, he seemed like a nice enough guy, you know, he was this, this little guy. I mean, I was like 20, he was like 21, you know, <laughs> we were kids, you know, and, and, uh, and, and so um, eventually, Baba Don says, well, you know, go tell him that you want to marry him, that you're ready to get married. And, you know, I was, I, I kind of idolized Baba Don. I mean, he, you know, more than, than YB at that point, you know, he was my teacher, you know, and I, I felt like, you know, what he said was, was true. And I wanted to, to, I wanted to be part of the, part of the, you know, <laughs> In crowd. To belong, to belong, you know, you can you sign on to the program. You kind of do have to do what's expected, I guess. So, so he, so he said, "Well, go tell him you want to get married. Go tell him you're ready to get married." And I'm like, oh, so, so I went up and I said, "Okay, well, I guess maybe we should get married." And and, <laughs> and he's like, "Well, it doesn't really matter who you're married. You're just marrying God." <laughs> Oh Lord! <laughs> it sounds like Baba today. <laughs> Not much has changed. <laughs> anyway, um, but so we ended up um, getting engaged, and you know we had to have YB's uh, approval to get engaged. So we got engaged, but then. Well, we weren't married yet, but, but Baba Don said, well, you need to go to Tempe because uh, the people who were there, Sakatar Singh and Carr, um, were moving to Amsterdam. They had been told to go to Amsterdam to start an ashram. So you need to go take over this little Tempe ashram. So we moved to this little apartment in Tempe where they had lived. And um, we stayed there, I guess. And then we went to winter solstice together. Mm. We we um, 
Babadan was into the um, like videotaping stuff before that was a big thing, and so he told um, Baba John, <laughs> Baba, to to go and videotape winter solstice. So we would get to go to winter solstice to do that. It was kind of like our assignment to videotape what was going on there. So, so we went there together, and then we came back. And I guess we had been told that we were going to get married at summer solstice. But at this point, um, our friends, who was Mar Baba Mark at the time, and, and um, Daya, Daya, we called her Daya, but Daya, I think it's like a really foundation, but she was, she was Daya Jyoti, was how we said her name. But they had decided to get married. And they were, he and, he and um, Baba Mark, Baba John, whatever I call them, they, they had been all buddies from Iowa. And so, so we decided that, you know, well, we should get married together. And we were like, well, why, why wait? Yeah, we should get married sooner and, and get married in, in Phoenix. So we um, had a double wedding. This was like the first Sikh wedding, um, you know, American Sikh wedding in Phoenix. And they had like a newspaper article about it and everything. And <laughs> we got married in the backyard of somebody, one of the, um, some students who, who had a wealthy family and they, it was a beautiful backyard and so we got married there. And um, so we, we ended up going back to Tempe, but um, you know, well, just kind of, just a little side. I, <laughs> I mean, the whole thing about marriage, I, you know, I, as I said, I hadn't wanted to get married before, but I, um, you know, the idea that that you could be with someone and it would just be, you know, you didn't have to get involved in like all the emotional stuff of relationships, you know, which I had experienced before and, you know, you know, and all the, you know, emotional pain and this and that that you go through in relationships. If you don't have that emotional attachment to a person, then, you know, you can avoid all that, right? You know, <laughs> you're not really in love. You don't have to worry about all that stuff. You're just fulfilling a mission together as partners and working for, you know, to raise the consciousness of humanity kind of thing. Yeah. The ultimate so, bypass, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was how it was portrayed. And that's kind of how I saw it. And like, okay, this, I'll sign on for this. So, so we went back to uh, Tempe and, but very shortly <laughs> afterwards, I became kind of very kind of homesick for, Phoenix and and the people there and Baba Don and and I, you know I I think I told them that I, I went back and said, oh, I'm not happy I don't know what you know and so at the time um, Sri Karkar um, and Himmet was her she she had her little baby Himmet at the time in the car and uh, her Himmet's dad Mardana or his name was Michael um, I think Baba Don named him Mardana. Um, he came to visit, and he was a musician, and Babadan had him write some kind of musical, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, Babadan. So some kind of a musical about higher consciousness and this and that. So, so he said, well, come back and be in this musical, you know, come and stay with you, you know, and he said, yeah, yeah, I'm for that. So, so I got to go back and do that, you know, kind of escape the <laughs> humdrum of being married. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, so that was, you know, a little reprieve, and 
I guess we eventually went to another solstice and, um, you know, time went on. Um, we ended up back in Phoenix uh, the, when they moved to um, the big ashram, the big ashram on McDowell Road, which was a huge big building mm. um, that had the big paintings in front. Um, I don't know if you remember that, but no, I still wasn't yeah. born yet. But I like giving the sequential location. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, right? Yeah. So yeah, so that's where your parents were married. But this was it was a big office building that somehow they got a hold of, and so we moved back there, and they kept having more, you know, these teacher training courses there, and um, you know, eventually they opened the Golden Temple Restaurant in Tempe. And that was a big thing that like that was a thing for everybody to work at and so you know i became a worker at the restaurant in tempe and uh, i would cook specials and soups and then i'd also they also had like this little stage in the middle so i would help and do some entertainment sing and play the guitar at nighttime to entertain the guests <laughs> and uh, um you know i started doing a little bit of recording at the time um not sure the exact time, but I, I did an early recording called The Gift to Be Simple, which had some songs and some chants and things on it. And um, then somehow, I think Yogi Bhajan asked me to record the Japchi. Now, when we moved to the new ashram, we had a, our first Gurdwara. It was down in the basement of the, of the, of the ashram, of the building. But they set it up, so it was pretty nice. And I would go down there, and I would just kind of sit. I would sit in front of the Sub with my guitar, which, you know, was, I'm sure, not <laughs> really kosher, but, you know, no one knew back then. And I would just kind of, like, sing, you know, just play my guitar and sing the words. You know, I just, it was, a, it was just kind of a flow. And, and you know, that's how I did the Japji to the Japji from Peace Lagoon. You know, I just would kind of sing and it wasn't like a set melody. It was just kind of a, a flow of, of music and, and words. And so for some reason, I, somehow I, Yogi Bhajan wanted me to record that. So I made an early recording of the of Japji from that. And um, uh, so let's see, <laughs> Golden Temple, <laughs> worked there for a while. But then eventually I got pregnant and that was like kind of a relief because I was I was getting a little tired of working at the at the restaurant and when you're pregnant you got to not stop working at the restaurant. So so yeah. Uh, so um, we had just eventually had moved to another little place called the there, there was a little health food store called the Guru's Granary. And there was a little house next to it where Sajuan Cards and Singh lived and there two children at the time, Satvir and Sarvata. And so we moved in with them, and that's where my, our son, Guru Sangeet, was born. And around the same time as Guru Kiran, your brother, and there's there's like four, well, also Satpurkar at the time, Satpurkar and Narayan. And then um, Adi Singh and Adikar, they weren't there, but they showed up later but there so we wanted to have home birth so we so we you know we didn't we uh 
didn't want to go to the hospital. That was the thing. We wanted to have a home birth. So it turned out that Dr. Allen, who, um, you know, ended up in L.A., but we, when I had gone to, out to summer solstice with, he was in Phoenix doing a some kind of residency at this place called the A.R.E. Clinic. And so he, we kind of nabbed him to be our doctor to, to, for our home births. And, and Suri Karkar had been studying midwifery, so she was there too, but she wasn't a licensed midwife yet, but she was, was very helpful. So we had our home births, and luckily everything turned out well, okay. And um, then we had this great little program where like the four of us, um, your mom, um, myself, um, Adi Kar, who had shown up with Kirpal, with and they were about the same age, and um, Safar Kar and Narayan. So we kind of would share, we had a little program where um, we would, two of us would watch the babies and the other two could have some time off and, you know, we'd feed them almond milk with they missed a breastfeeding and, and uh, you know, so it was a nice real community little thing, you know, we kind of had this this family thing where we could share with with the, you know, taking care of the babies and all that. Yeah, so, anybody who's a mother or has been around motherhood knows that, I mean, A, to be sharing time where you're pregnant at the same time as other women and then the sons being born, all being the same ages. You know, this is quite significant and speaks to the nature of like what felt so supportive in community. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so so it was very. That was a nice time. Um, you know, I enjoyed being mother, and um, but this, then shortly we we uh, Baba decided he was going to start a uh, automotive garage. <laughs> this is your husband at the time. Baba John. He was at that time. Um, he was given the name Baba Siri Das, but then Yogi Bhajan said it was Baba Siri Singh. So I guess it was Baba Siri Singh at that point. Got so it. Baba Don, is Baba Don still in the ashram at this point? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Keep going. Okay. So we moved to uh, uh, farther up McDowell Road in this automotive garage. There was a house behind, and he was running a, a, this automotive garage thing, fixing cars. Yeah, jack of all trades, <laughs> and he, and so, it, so we lived there in the back, and then um, also uh, Gurumantar Singh and Gurumantar Kar, that was their name at the time, now um, she is now Saram Kar, and um, but they, their little, they had a son, Nitty Pitty, who you interviewed, and <laughs> he was a baby at the time, um, and so we lived together with them. And at that time, then for some reason I was told, I think this is maybe the beginning of kind of the children's ashram phase, mm. where people were sent to Phoenix to be, the kids were sent to Phoenix to be in children's ashrams. But I was told I was supposed to take care of this little boy who was just maybe a year old somehow he was supposed to not be with his parents and I was uh, told I was supposed to take care of him. So, you know, I I didn't really like it. <laughs> I kind of, I don't think I was very, a very good caretaker for him. I mean, I don't think it lasts very long, but somebody, you know, I had my own little baby who was like just a few months old and I was supposed to take care of this other kid, you know, it's like, what? You know, so... Wow. You know, that, that was the thing that, you know, that happened. You know, you, you were told, well, you're supposed to, you know, take care of someone else's kid. So, um, and there was just no space to say no, because it was like looked yeah, at as like yeah. a gift, as like an honor yeah. to do this or something. 
I guess, you know, it was just something you, you, you were supposed to do, you know. So, so anyway, that was, <laughs> but, but uh, I don't think it lasted for all that long. But anyway, uh, after that, um, Babadan told, to, told us, it was probably rejected at that point, but he said, well, you, sh you guys should go start a country ashram. And this was, um, I think it, it was also around the time when maybe the Carefree Ashram and the, I don't know, maybe that was later. But, but anyway, he told us we should start a country ashram. I had come into some money <laughs> uh, through a trust fund. And so <laughs> we went up north uh, to look for a, 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 some property. So we found this place in Heber this 10 acres of property that was lovely and used the money from my trust fund to buy this property and moved up there um, in, this was uh, in 1975. Uh, it was not a year old yet. And uh, we moved up there. We took the Sajiwan uh, Singh who had arrived <laughs> <laughs> the Sajiwan family had arrived with a teepee in the backyard of the ashram. So we took our teepee to sit up there. <laughs> and we uh, lived in the teepee while we were building the house, you know. Uh, Baba was a great, you know, carpenter, so we built this house. And, and um, there was another couple that the Sapurks kind of moved up there too, but, you know, we were eventually I, I think we were there by ourselves for a while but so so we we lived in a little house um, it was it was rough you know we, it was we didn't have electricity we didn't have any water it's <laughs> a country ashram people would come up once in a while to visit you know a little bit in the summer but then the winter came and uh, it was kind of kind of hard I think we went back east to visit my mother for a while during the winter and then came back. We, our, we got in an accident with the truck and, and our truck got, got totaled and we had to hitchhike around and, you know, so things were... <laughs> All with a little baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes he would go to Phoenix to, to do something, sell something or do something. I'd be left there by myself because we actually had goats up there that we were milking and so I had to stay and milk the goats. And so I'd be left there by myself with the baby, no phone. But, um, and uh, actually, they, I think the Good Mantras actually moved up a little bit. They, they lived there for a little while. They had, they had the ones that brought the goats, but it didn't live very long. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, uh, eventually I, there was, the camps were started, I think, during the summer. And but after I think about the second winter, I had pretty much kind of had it. You know, I, I felt isolated. I felt depressed. I was, you know, I just didn't want to be in there anymore. You know, I <laughs> so I I decided I was going back back down to Phoenix. I I I, I took a bus down myself and with with my baby with Sangeet, and then, then I guess Baba Baba. Um, I think I had to stop person and drive me to pace and, <laughs> and Baba. <laughs> he came later. But I, I was like, oh, I'm done with this. So, so we're back But meanwhile, while we had been gone, um, you know, Baba Don or Jigger Jugget had, he had, 
he had moved people while we've gone. I think this is when the Carefree Ashram, the Tempe Ashram started. Um, he had kind of been moving people out away, you know, because I think he was feeling like he was not probably wanting to stay in and wanted to just kind of get people out and away from what was going on with him. So, so he, um, uh, he had left and Gurlit Singh and Gurlit Kaur had been sent from LA to take over the Phoenix Ashram. And this, they, when we got there, got back there, that's, that was what was happening and Baladan was gone. No, so yeah, so. just to pause on that, just to give the listeners perspective, from my understanding, right, Baba Don and um, his wife again, Pungit? Pungit, She was like an Israeli woman, right? Mm-hmm. So they were the ones that had been like running the teacher training, running the community for a long time. And as things were getting more and more formalized, I think they were less interested in being a part mm-hmm. as, as that was happening. So Yogi Bhajan and, and yeah. systems were being created. And they, decided so. to, they decided to keep it moving. So now Gur Lives come in and are sent in as leadership to run Phoenix. Yes, yes. Because Phoenix is a major hub at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Right. So so um, at this point, there was the ashram was on, uh, the big ashram had been, abandoned and they have a smaller house on Alvarado Road, which was the ashram. And um, so um, Gurliv, I mean, he was a great language teacher. I learned Gurmukhi from him. <laughs> he was great at languages. You know, that was his thing, was languages. So he taught everyone Gurmukhi. But other than that, I don't think he was so into wanting to really run things. He kind of <laughs> did it because he was told to. Um, and um, so we were there for a while. Um, it, at some point, I, you know, that I developed a feelings for another for another man because I had been discontented with my marriage for a while, not, you know, feeling that it was something I was very happy in, and developed feelings for someone else. Um, you know, that was not something that was really. It could do. <laughs> yeah. Was so you know. Eventually, it was. I think. I think um, Baba found out about it somehow, and then um, you know it was never like a, a consummated affair or anything. But it was just kind of a thing that I had going on, and and it was. Um, I was Yogi Bhajan somehow told me to, to come to L.A. You know, this is the thing. Like you, you, you go to LA when, you know, and get fixed, <laughs> you know. So there uh, wasn't an actual, like, physical affair happening, but you started having energy, that, feelings, and yeah. there was, was obvious something happening there, Baba finds yeah. out, and then you kind of get called to LA so you can get Yeah, there. yeah, okay. I think, like, Krishna Carr had come at the lunch point and talked, and then somehow, somehow, so anyway, I was told to come to LA. So and, and just to pause one more time, that was kind of the formality here, listeners, is like if there was an issue, right? So my mom had an issue with something, then Krishna would come and try uh-huh. to smooth things out in the area. Yeah. She was kind of the first go-to overseer right. of, a, of our region. And then if that quote didn't work, then you would get called to L.A. to be talked to by the man. So go ahead. Right. Yeah, so that's... Um... Yeah, so it, I ended up in LA. I think I stayed at the uh, Sri Gurbani Sadhan Ashram. I was there at that time. 
And uh, Yogi Bhajan told me to put some of, he put his poetry to music. That was my assignment. He had written, he'd been writing poetry and, and so I was supposed to be uh, working on putting his poetry to music. Um, then eventually I, I guess, I, I guess when I was there, I was there for a little while and then there was a trip to India. So I was asked to accompany him on a trip to India. So um, now this was late 70s still, I believe, and 77, 78 maybe. And so I went to India with a group, with him. Um, that was interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't really know what was going on because everyone was speaking Punjabi and, and we were kind of like the, you know, he was showing us off as, oh, look at these Americans, you know, I've, I've turned these Americans into Sikhs and, you know, and he would be coming, going and talking at these places or these people's houses and jabbering in Punjabi and of course we, we knew, had no idea what he was saying <laughs> and what people were, were saying. I mean, people were nice to us and stuff, but it was... You know, it was kind of a tour. We went around to different places, and um, you know, that was uh, it was um, interesting. But the, you know, it was a good perspective to get on to get to see the Indian uh, Indian Sikhs and people how they lived and how it was different than the American version. But um, so, um, yeah. And now so where's I'm, where's your baby? You have you have Guru Sangeet with you this whole time? Yeah, he, yeah he, no no, he was he was back in 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 Phoenix. Um So when you got uh, called to LA, he you left him behind. Yeah, he was um he was maybe 3 or 4 at this time. Yeah, about 4 maybe. Yeah, so he was um he was he stayed in Phoenix, yeah. Um so um, yeah, eventually he came back to Phoenix, and um, let's see. <laughs> can I can I pause you for a second? Yeah, I want to yes. get some clarity yeah. on what, what you're saying. So yeah. this this energy starts happening with another person. You haven't been fulfilled in your marriage basically since you started because you weren't really marrying each other. You were marrying God, and everything should be non-emotional and non-connected. So right. suddenly that ends up being a harsh reality, and you know, you're an emotional human, so you start making some feelings. Yogi Bhajan calls you to L.A., but then it doesn't sound like any of that's addressed. He just kind of puts you on his poetry and then has you travel with him. Is there anything ever talked to you directly about this scenario or just you eventually end up back in Phoenix? Um, you know, I he may have talked to me some, but it wasn't anything... You know, it was always something, it was always my, my problem, you know, it was like, at one point he told me, oh, you have a sex resentment, whatever that means, you know, and, you know, there was something about, oh, my mother, this or that, you know, but, um, you know, it never. He's gaslighting you. Okay. So what else? Yeah. I and mean, he was, he was also like making, making you wrong in other ways in terms of communicating that you're the problem. Yeah. Here. Well, yeah. I mean, the. You know, you're you know, you're married. You're, you're married. This is your commitment. You know, this your your uh, you know that was that was that was what I committed to, and so you know you're not <clears throat> other things were not okay. You know, married for life, no divorce, all that. So, um, 
Yeah. Um, so, um, I'm going to pause for a moment to turn off my AC. It's a little getting a little too cold. All right. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so what I want to just pause and just say is that the frame up that you've given us so far is that in these early days, um, you know, there was this ethos already created that, you know, the ultimate thing is make sure you're married and you have a family and yeah. the women should serve the men and, and the devotion of being a good wife. And like all of this was a part of that foundational setup with Baba Don, which was really just a mimicking leadership role that Yogi Bhajan was doing. And then when Baba Don leaves, you know, YB is already sending in another leader. And so in this setup of your marriage of this kind of like non-passionate marriage, this was already happening from the beginning. And then what I'm hearing you say is that the only real communication you got in direct relationship to this was it's your problem. You're not being a good enough wife. You're not, you're not doing the things you need which is the same message my mom got when my dad was cheating around is that she wasn't good enough and why he was doing that was her fault. So this became a part of the normal ethos. When you went to CYB, the woman would be the one at fault and then the men had a different category. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so as long as we're clear. <laughs> so you end up back in Phoenix. Yeah, so... Um... Okay, so back in Phoenix, and um, let's see, get my get my timeline straight here. <laughs> get my notes here. Um, let's see. Um, well, eventually, um, I remember he. He told me to go on tour to, I mean, he kept telling, oh, I know. Okay, let, this is this is a backtrack to Heber. Okay, so after after being Heber um, and deciding to leave Heber, and, you know, there were still continuations with, with summer camps and things there for a number of years, but, you know, we, we didn't live there full time um, for and after, after a couple of years. But I had told when I remember YB was visiting Phoenix one time, and and I we were talking about Heber, and I I told him that I was wanted to just donate the property to Sikh Dharma. So wow. <laughs> so um, he you know that that was arranged, and. Um, you know, I looking back on it, I think that's probably shouldn't have done that. But you know, at the time, it was like, well, I didn't want to be there anymore, and it seemed like, why not? You know, it's, it's so that that was just let let the that let Trisha and Sikharma take over. Um, and at the time, he also said to me, he said, well, um, okay, well, that's good, then, then, then eventually we can sell the property and we can use the money to send you on tour to do music. And, um, you know, as he said, yeah, we'll use the money to do that. So, I know. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was the thing. I mean, just the, the music thing, you know, he kept, he, that was, he kept kind of pushing me that this is your thing, you know, you need to do your music and, 
And I, um, I guess I, I never felt really totally aligned with it. I mean, I, I enjoyed doing the music at first. I, I, you know, I did some recordings and things and I, but it, you know, it seemed like after the initial inspiration, it started to kind of change. More people were getting into it. It's, I started to feel like, well, I'm not as good as this person, as good as that person. And, and, you know, I never liked like really performing in solstice or places like that. I didn't feel comfortable in doing, doing that type of thing. So it was, um, but in a way I felt like I kind of been pigeonholed as, as, um, you know, this is your role. And, you know, in a way, I think the way, looking back on it, I think that people, that that's what he did. He kind of compartmentalized people into their role of what they're supposed to do. You know, you know these musicians, they're supposed to go on tour and, and promote and spread my brand. You know, basically, that's what he wanted us to do. You know, go spread the brand, spread the 3HO brand, you know, and, and, and promote me. And, you know, the songs that people wrote that often even had his, were, you know, he told, he said, well, the songs are what is going to carry us forward and all that and, and the legacy and, and people would write songs that mentioned him, you know, almost in the same light as the Sikh Gurus. Mm. And of course, later we were told that, oh, that's, you shouldn't really say that, but, you know, it was people, though, there were songs to that effect. And, um, you know, I think that, that the, the whole music thing is, was in a way kind of another way of just promoting himself. <laughs> not so much the people themselves but, and but, creating another section of specialness right that also yeah. created a self-perpetuating um, promotional material as you're saying that's a really interesting yeah. I've never thought about that but that makes so much sense yeah so um, but anyway he told me in 1985 I believe he's we were in Tucson at the Tantra course and so he said, okay, well now, now it's time for you to go on tour. And he said, get a, get a jutta together in Phoenix and go on tour. <clears throat> go on tour to uh, Vancouver. I don't know if he told us that, but somehow we decided to go to Vancouver. And so um, we got together uh, several people. I think there were like four or five women and we had a, a tablet player and, and <laughs> And we, you know, we knew our few little shabbats and we <laughs> took off in a couple of cars and drove, drove up through California and up to, uh, up to Vancouver and stayed at the ashram there with uh, the um, garage car and I guess Honey Singh. And, um, you know, they kind of took, took us around to some of the gurdwaras and we performed our little kirtan and, and, uh, it was, um, I mean, it was kind of fun, but I, I didn't enjoy it all that much. <laughs> by, by the end, I was like, I'm really tired of this, you know. <laughs> and, and again, and, you're uh, leaving your son back home, right? Yeah, yeah. And well, at, at that point, he was already in India. So oh, I, um, I guess I, I probably kind of skipped, skipped the part where he went to India. I'll have to go back and backtrack on that. <laughs> but, um, but um yeah, so so we did, did did that, and and you know I I don't know by the end I was kind of feeling like you know we were just like so amateurish and you know I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather I I'd like to work with someone who's like a little more skilled you know because I was and and somehow Yogi Bhajan after after I get back he's he I talked to him and he says 
says, well, you just want to be the star. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> so I don't know. You know, we didn't really do our stuff after that. And, and I tried kind of working with some other people. I tried working with Sakatar Tarkar and, you know, we did some things together, but it wasn't a real good fit. But um, um, anyway, that was my tour. <laughs> that was a tour, my one and only tour. <laughs> and, uh, but, but uh, yes, so meanwhile, um, Guru Sangeet, our son, had gone to India in 1981. Oh. Um, he, he um, the first, first child to go to India was Satvir Singh. Um, from Phoenix, he he was about he was a few years old, a couple years older than Gurusangeet, and he was always kind of his like big brother, and he always looked up to Satbir. And so after Satbir went, Gurusangeet's like, I want to go too, because Satbir went. <laughs> so we didn't know anything about it, you know. It's like we were told this is what 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 to do with the kids, son of India. So it's like okay, so off he went to India, you know, a little seven year old boy. Seven-year-olds. <laughs> seven I remember yeah. that Gurdwara where every, all the kids were standing up there, and they got put those orange the sarapas, yeah, around there, around their yeah. neck. Uh, so, but we did go to visit him several times. Um, you know, each year he came back, and you know, every year he would say he didn't want to go back. And then when we take him to to YB, and YB said, "Oh, you have to go back." <laughs> it was crazy. You know. And meanwhile, like in your marriage, you just are just making it work, but it's not necessarily like there's. Yeah, you know, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're kind of, kind of making it work. And eventually, um, we decided we we're thinking, well, maybe we should have another child. And and you know, this was um, quite a few years later because um, Sangeet was uh, already. Oh, he was like 13 when the <laughs> body was born. And so, um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, we decided, to, you know, maybe it's time for another child. And I um, took a little while to actually get pregnant. And then so I was pregnant with our daughter, um, Gudabani. And she was born in 1987. I was going to say, I think she's um, 10 years younger than me. Yeah. Because it was a while longer. And, um, I remember your guys' house was across the street um, from ours. Yeah. yeah, so we had moved into a house. Uh, we lived kind of in the main ashram for a while, and and then we moved into a remodeled house across the street. Now, yeah, in Phoenix, there's a, there was the big ashram we had moved to in about 1981, I think, on, on Oak Street. Um, and then uh, people began buying homes, uh, people or the ashram, property, some some people privately, some people through the ashram, and it was kind of convoluted <laughs> who, what, who owned what, but there were a bunch of uh, houses in the area that people lived in, so it was kind of like a whole community of people, of houses, and the main ashram is, is, is a hub. So yeah, the main ashram was like a Baptist church that got converted, right? And then, yeah, yeah. And then, um, that neighborhood, you know, was kind of like low income Latino neighborhood, right? Hispanic neighborhood. And um, and so because we had so many construction workers in our community, we could flip those homes. Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, that's what yes. like Scott Perk and Baba Siri saying they were like a lot of the people that were like m making these things 
uh, like livable homes, no? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because our home that we, where Gidvani was born, was had been a duplex, and it was remodeled to be a uh, single family house. So that was um, that was a very nice house for us. It was like our first. Well, we lived in a bunch of places, but it was our first big house. So, um, so anyway, she was she was born. I mean, things were not great between us at the time. I remember when when it was my uh, 120th day celebration. And, you know, we were having a gudwara and, I, you know, I was all into getting the gudwara ready and, and he was sitting there watching football on TV or something. I was kind of like, come on, yeah. <laughs> and so, but, you know, um, you know, we had, we had Gudubani and that uh, was our, our sweet little daughter. And, but, you know, things from there, he was kind of going through a transition of with his work and, and um, wanting to start another business and I think kind of a midlife crisis type of thing and, and he he uh, was kind of going out and doing other things and and seemed like we were sort of growing apart and um, so you know it wasn't you know I just was was feeling like you know it's time to kind of end this and uh, So I guess I talked to I talked to Yogi Bhajan about it, and you know he I asked I you know I, I told him what was going on, and he said well um, he said he'd actually come and talk to talk to Baba, and he said he said I'll come you know I'll make him I'll come to Phoenix and I'll talk to him, and so he <laughs> you is know he's he starting is Baba Singh already having affairs at this point. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's out doing things, you know, and, and staying out all night sometimes and doing yeah. other stuff. So I'm not, I'm not sure what's going on, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, <clears throat> so Yogi Bhajan um, did come at one point and he, he, I guess he talked to him. So and then afterwards, when I talked to, to Yogi Bhajan, he said, so yes, I talked to him. Yeah, he's fine. Don't worry. He's okay. And I was like, really? You know? <laughs> and so I, um, I don't know. It, I, I pretty much felt, decided that, you know, it was time to, to move on and, and things were not going to work out. And so... This is the year, this is um, after Guru Bonnie's born, and this is um, uh, 1980, uh, almost 1990? Um, a, little, a little earlier, I guess, when she was born in 87, so, you know, probably, um, yeah, close, maybe late, late 80s, early 90s, yeah. Okay. Then. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so, um, you know, eventually, I think, you know, I put his things outside and said, <laughs> I'm back, and he found another place in the neighborhood, and and he had, had mentioned, uh, Gersenghi, I think, he was back from India at, at this point, because he had finished school, and he had, he had moved to California, and so um, Baba eventually moved to California with Gersenghi, but, but anyway, I... Um, Went to I went to es to Espanol again to talk to to YB and 
tell him that I was getting, I really wanted to get divorced. And so I, I told him, you know, I'm, I'm finished with the marriage and, and he's, you know, even though he said, you know, I wasn't supposed to get divorced, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really, no, I'm not, I'm going to do it. And so, so he said, well, okay, well, then now you can go on tour and do your music thing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then he, and then he like, I was, you know, in the room with a, a ranch and he, so then he, he like pulled me into him and he like put his mouth on my neck and kind of like sucked on my neck or something. And, and then, you know, it was like, what? You know, so, <laughs> uh, you know, it was just kind of a momentary thing, but, you know, I, I mean, truthfully, I didn't like think a whole lot of it at the time. I was like, okay, well, but uh, now it's kind of, I feel like, well, he was like saying, okay, okay, no, I can put my mark on you or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so. I don't know. Uh, it's just so interesting, Bibi Bonnet. I want to pause and just say, you know, just I'm sure there's so many more things you'll remember as time goes on. But like these interactions where you had this closeness with YB and he kept putting you out to the on tour thing and his language, as much as we haven't heard that much, the ones you've shared built you up, tore you down, built you up, tore you down. And it's kind of this. What I'm hearing about it is it's kind of like this formula of of grooming where it's like you have nothing left, like you're being told you're something and then you're actually insulted for attempting the thing that he suggested. And then you're re-brought up and then you're insulted for being the one that's wrong when all you're expressing is human needs of emotional connection and passion. And, and so, again, it's like it's it's convoluted and it's hard to really pull apart. But as memories come forward, we start to see what was there all along, but we never really could see your name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I guess there, there was another thing that I kind of left out was that it, you know, I had spent time in LA at the estate um, during the eighties too, the early eighties. And he, it, I, my, my second sabbatical to LA. <laughs> When things, you know, it kind of, kind of like a repeat of the first cycle, but this was the second cycle. And so I actually, so he said, well, come and stay with my family. See what a real family is like. Oh. You know, so, you know, if you say BBG lives there, um, Pemka was still there. Um, then, you know, it's this little house. The estate, you know, this house on Cruz Road, <laughs> and and then um, some of the other secretaries. There's like a back house where some of the other secretaries lived, and um, I like slept on the couch and and was there, you know. I was told to be um, his daughter's Kamaljeet's um, forty day Savidar when she had her child. I I. Um, <laughs> take care of her 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 when she after she had a baby and i worked at golden temple during that time um but you know i could kind of i mean at that point i could kind of see the whole secretary thing going on but i couldn't i couldn't see it you know it's like you know i was right there they were they like well i've got night duty tonight and you know and i <laughs> didn't see them doing their thing but you know i i guess i was just so wrapped up in my own 
dramas and traumas that I wasn't seeing, but you know, what was going on right under my nose, you know? Like, well, yeah. and, and also within an ethos that's minimizing your dramas and traumas, making them feel like that you're making it up, you're making it worse, as opposed to natural sensations of humanity to want to be in partnerships that's loving or natural, just natural things that were then reframed to make the woman feel like it's her duty to do more, to sacrifice more, to offer more. Um, and it just sounds like that's just like the recurring theme that allowed for more and more blindness of what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know, that, that time was kind of, uh, you know, a, a time when I was able to kind of see some of the dynamics of things that were happening, happening in LA at that time with the, with the staff and all that, but as like I said, I wasn't totally aware of what was going on. But you know, that there would be the thing of people, everybody like jumping to go to the to the airport when he was going somewhere, or or <laughs> he was coming back from somewhere, and you know, I'd be told, "Oh, get in the car with this person and drive to the airport," and you know, then we'd all sit at the airport with him, and he'd say things at the airport to people, and. And, you know, you, maybe he would say something to you and maybe he'd, you know, change somebody's life by saying, oh, you marry this person when, you know, so these the airport interactions were like a big deal, you know. So, uh, wow. <laughs> trooping in with our white clothes and all that. So it was uh, kind of a circus. <laughs> yeah, and I want to go uh, back to, like, you know, you communicating early that you weren't happy in your marriage and yet it was your you, you needed to kind of s stick with it but then as things got worse and and let's say baba started doing whatever it's not you know yogi budget said yeah i've talked to him but it's not like anything changed and that was a similar story like if my mom you know my mom said hey this is what lee's doing and then yogi budget talks to him but nothing's changed so enough of that over and over again eventually compounded and you just decided okay we're gonna end this marriage you by that many years later you decided i'm done here i'm not gonna keep this up and i want to point out to listeners what was happening in phoenix at that time because i think it is a bit significant the community had really had a lot of people coming in we had the four plaques we had the eight plaques we had a children's ashram we had houses all around where the main hub of the ashram was. So it was a bit of a unique community where we had Thanksgiving together and community gatherings and karma yoga. And so lots of people would come in and out through our ashram. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're also giving a long history of like couples that raise their families together or babies together. It's so like this level of camaraderie and community. And in the later years, do you remember the Men's Crisis Center? Mm -hmm. So do you want to tell <laughs> listeners what this was? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, yeah, there was one one man who had a, he was kind of a, singular, a single bachelor at that point. I guess he and his wife had divorced a while ago. And... Um, he had a, a place where uh, all the guys would go over and watch watch um, football games. That's how it started. 
um, <laughs> on, on Sunday afternoon or whatever. And uh, I mean, I think for a while they were coming to our house, and I didn't like that, so they ended up moving over there. That's what made me think about it because when you said on your hundred on your hundred twentieth day, my house. yeah, Bob was watching football, and I was like, oh yeah, that's what they all did. They all got together and watched football. I remember yeah. this. Yeah. So it was, uh, and then yeah. So. Yeah, that was that was kind of a thing, you know. I mean, you know, if that if that's what they wanted to do, that was fine. So it wasn't my house. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I want to point out about it is that as the years went on, you know, if there was infidelity or if there was unhappiness of a woman in their marriage, and the woman talked to whoever was in charge, and then YB, nothing actually changed. There wasn't a culture where men changed and it became better it was always back on the woman so this men's crisis center literally became a thing in our community i i remember it around 1990 ish because i think i was old enough to discover what it was um but the point is is, you know it was like the hangout place for the men to get away from their neurotic wives and it was kind of this persona you know and yeah Yeah. it was just the guys hanging out and doing foot watching football but then it became more than that you know it was you know just this again the i remember you know my dad going there and then when i got a little old enough sometimes i got to go but you know like you wanted to be a part of it and i'm pointing this out because once again it perpetuates the ethos that it's the women that are neurotic it's the women that are not saving the marriage it's the women that are not doing the thing whether it's bringing sex or doing the things to make sure that your husband doesn't cheat and this is a long history of it building to this and then you know the single man's house all the guys would go hang out there and watch football mm-hmm. and suck nitrous or something. Yeah, right, right, oh, that was the thing. <laughs> yeah, and they would have this tank and they would actually like right. inhale, inhale yeah. night, you know, it was like, you know, in a community uh, over time of not doing drugs and then finding interesting creative ways to integrate <laughs> their drug use. Yeah, oh gosh. Uh, yeah, but I mean. But I just wanted thing. to point, yeah, I wanted okay. to point out yeah. that this kind of is a setup for the, the the erratic behavior that you were seeing with Baba Siri Singh, right? That whatever the choices he was making, which I, I don't know, and that's his story, it just still reflects this kind of like something else was taking place. It was no longer this family entity where the focus was. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, you know, I like you said, it's his, his story, but I, you know, I just, I mean, I feel that it was, a lot of it was just my, you know, feeling of, of discontentment, and I needed to to act on that. Um, so, but yeah, never, no, like counseling was ever really discussed or anything like that. I, I don't know, but um, so um, okay. <laughs> so eventually, I did get divorced. I, you know, I, I think the divorce wasn't an actual divorce for a couple of years, but we were separated. He moved on, he moved away, and. And now I was kind of on my own. And, you know, after that same conversation with, with Yogi Bhajan in, in uh, Espanol, he said, well, I will always take care of you. And, you know, have uh, Guru Kar, who was kind of, you know, in charge of things at, things at the time, send, send your financial statement to, to me every month to let me know how you're doing and all this. And But, you know, still, I mean, how is I supposed to, like, go out and tour and be a musician if I had a little baby girl and, and uh, you know, I need to support myself. So I was like, no, I'm not doing that. So, so I, uh, 
I ended up becoming a, um, I, I started kind of working at the Kalsa. We had a Kalsa Montessori school in Phoenix for many years since, since the very beginning of the ashram started. Mm-hmm. And it had grown into, uh, you know, quite a, a well-known school in the whole city. You know, it was had a good reputation as a, as a school and it kept expanding. And so um, I had started kind of working there part time when she was a baby. And we, uh, I, I decided that I would pursue that and become a Montessori teacher. So I took training in in um, Colorado, same training that you that cutting cutting had been the first one. She went to, to Boulder and she took the the Montessori toddler training, and she came back and she was Gurbani's toddler teacher when she was a, when she was a baby, and. Um, and I uh, then a couple, I think Steve Harkar and Adi Carr also took the training, and I decided I would do it. Uh, it would be a good way for me to support myself. You know, I had been kind of working at the school just as an assistant, but you know, I would if I took the training, I could be more um, make a better income and be have more responsibility. So I I did that. I I um, became. The head of one of the toddler programs that they had at the school for several years, and uh, that you know that was actually a, you know it's kind of a good time. I felt like I was becoming more independent. I'd never played in on my own, you know. I mean, I I I gone to college for a year, then I got into 3HL, got married, and you know I had never really supported myself. I never had to continue my education. Um, so, you know, it was it was uh, a time when I kind of felt like I was sort of coming into my own more and like, yeah, well, I can do this. I can, <laughs> I can take care of myself and take care of my daughter. And um, so, um, you know, that was a fairly good period. But, you know, then after a few years, I decided I wanted to take the next level of training, the preschool training. And so I. Uh, went back and did that training, and then I had to come and do an internship with a, a teacher for my year that I after my training, and that um, did not do did not go well at all. <laughs> the person the person that I was was like a brand new teacher in at the school who they just hired who was didn't have much experience, and somehow that had to be with her and. I didn't like her. She didn't like me, and we—it <laughs> was just an all-around bad year. And so after that, I was kind of like, "Well, I'm kind of done with this." Gurbani um, um, was—was she was at the elementary at the time, and she she had, didn't want to continue with Kalsa either, so she was going to go on to public school. So we both kind of transitioned out of Kalsa school at that point. And so I, that actually that summer, okay, so I, so backtrack a little. In 1996, I had taken the very first Master's Touch uh, teacher training in New Mexico that was, you know, the, the original seminal um, teacher training course, level one teacher training course. And I had gone to get, you know, certified as a, as a Kalini Yoga teacher. And um, so I think I've been teaching a little bit more uh, since then, teaching yoga. And that um, 
summer after the summer solstice after that year of my internship, which I didn't like, <laughs> I had to stay in and run one of the transition programs of the toddlers transitioning to the primary and so on. So I didn't make it solstice. So all these um, other teachers had asked me to they, if they would teach, I would teach their yoga classes while they were at solstice. So I was like, yeah, sure. So I took taught all these yoga classes and I was like, wow, I really love teaching and this is so great. And I think I want to do this instead of <laughs> doing Montessori. So I went to, um, I went to ladies camp, I think for a week. And I just kind of felt like I just had this revelation of like, yeah, this is what I have to do. And I, and I, you know, totally go back into my sadhana, getting up at 3 a.m. every morning and doing gung-ho and, and, you know, I, I ended up, you know, finding some classes to teach and it, it's, it's kind of turned into a, a full-time thing eventually where I was able to um, just um, support myself pretty well by teaching at various like, you know, fitness places and I got some, worked at some community colleges and then I wanted to um, teach prenatal yoga. So I went and took some training with the book and started teaching pregnancy yoga and then I started mommy and me yoga and then I was uh, eventually started the teaching kids yoga at the Kelsa school again. And so, so, you know, I had kind of a variety of classes that I was teaching and, and enjoyed that. Um, and um, actually I did go and at one point I, after my first <laughs> uh, few years, a couple years of teaching, I think I was invited to come and teach at one at a master's touch in New Mexico to teach the mantra and sound um, module of the teacher training there at the master's touch. You know, I wasn't like an official teacher training, but teacher trainer, but I was able to, you know, they, you could kind of sign up as a specialty train, trainer, you know, to, for some particular type of module. So somehow that, they invited me to do that. And I, um, so I, I decided to go do that. And I, it was, it was interesting because my only experience with, with the teacher training in Phoenix, I had seen like Hattie Simran sing and Sarutankar had taught her, done our teacher training. And when they brought in like other teachers, uh, they would bring in like um, Sanatum sometimes to do the mantra and sound and, and or they'd bring your prem to do the postures, you know. And, and they were like these visiting celebrities, you know, they'd pick them up and they'd kind of wind them and guide them and, and like here, you know, our special celebrity guest teacher is coming. So I kind of was thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a special celebrity guest teacher. So... <laughs> And so I, you know, so I was trying to try and make arrangements to go do this thing. And I said, well, you know, is someone going to meet me at the airport? Said, no. You can make your own way to, well, do I get paid for this? No. <laughs> well, I'm like, giving up my income of the classes that I usually teach to go do that. No, no, you're, you're part of the team. You, you got to do this as part of the team. And, and, you know, we're, we're all in this together and we're just doing this for Seba. And, uh, so I was like, okay, you know, I, I don't know, I, that's, I guess that's the way it's done. So, so, you know, I had to make my way from Albuquerque to Abiquiu where, where it was and, and, uh, get there. And, <laughs> and I mean, I, I mean, I was kind of overwhelmed. I was like, whoa, you know, I've never done anything like this before. And, you know, here I was trying to like regurgitate this stuff from the teacher training manual of what mantra and sound is. And, 
and <laughs> putting as many mantras in between as I could, you know. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I don't think I did that great. But you know, Honey Cara was in charge of it. She was like, "Well, you did okay." But <laughs> I didn't think they were going to invite me back. But I, <laughs> I did. I mean, I did end up selling a bunch of my CDs, which kind of paid for my trip. So. Okay, but you know that was kind of my thing with the with the teacher training. I did a couple of other teacher training uh, of mantra and sound modules. I think in Tucson a couple times and in uh, a couple in Phoenix maybe. But I, you know, I, I just didn't feel super comfortable with that. And then they were starting all the level two stuff, and I just was like, why? Why are you charging all this money for these level two courses? You know, why do you have to pay thousands of dollars to to learn this stuff that like Yogi Legend taught us, you know, for free years ago, <laughs> and they're just repackaging it and and you know trying to make a bunch of money on it. And we're like, what's what's this about? Mm. And you know, I didn't I didn't really want to be a teacher trainer. You know, it wasn't my goal. I mean, I enjoyed teaching teaching um, classes. You know, I like and I and I didn't like the idea of like you know, trying to like funnel people in to be Sikhs and that kind of thing. I mean, that wasn't my goal. It's like, you know, they have their lives, you know, I don't want to make them into something that they're not. <laughs> I just want to make them feel good, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I wasn't the and I you know I wasn't the kind of teacher who did like all the Yogi Bhajan lectures and all that. And I just wanted to, you know, plus the fact that I was more I mean, I was kind of more into the physical aspect of it rather than all the meditations and all that. I mean, I, I would have focused more on like doing warm-ups, you know, because I felt like, well, you know, some of these Kriyas, they don't really work your body, you know, they're just like working on a little thing. So I, you know, I would do like, you know, sun salutations and things, other things, you know, like it's like, well, they're warm-ups, you know, I can add this in and that, that in and, and, you know, make it more kind of, <laughs> a little bit more creative than just following the book, you know, and I, and then, you know, all the meditations, and I always, always felt a little self-conscious about some of the meditations, like, oh, this is going to make you this and that, and you're going to be rich if you do this, and then it's all the formulaic kind of mm. prescriptive meditations that they're supposed to do all these things for you. It's like, well, why can't we just meditate and meditate for the sake of meditating, you know? <laughs> I don't know. So I, you know, I, so I didn't, that was, that wasn't my focus. You know, I teach maybe, I do a short meditation at the end, but it wasn't like I was teaching these long meditations. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that was my, my style. I wasn't, you know, the kind who would, um, you know, be regurgitating a yogi legend lecture or trying to be his, do his style or whatever. But, you know, I mean, I realized that there was other teachers who were these, you know, very charismatic teachers who were, you know, had a lot of students and stuff, and but um, it just it, to become a teacher trainer was not something that I felt I wanted to do. But it seemed like that was what you expected. You know, after a while, well, if you're a teacher and you've been teaching, then you become a teacher trainer. You know, that's kind of like the hierarchy, and that's the steps you follow, and you're supposed to do that. But I didn't really want to do that. So, so I. Uh, did, did you want to say something? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is in the 90s, right? The late 90s? Yeah. Yeah. 2000s ish around. Um, right. Yeah. No, and I, uh -huh. I just was curious, just in terms of the t the the tracking of your story, after um, Baba Don left and after you gave birth to your first son, did you just kind of stop practicing yoga, like, and not really have a oh. practice so much? 
Well, I mean, we always had sadhana. You know, we, I mean, I would do sadhana, but it wasn't like, you know, it was going to, I mean, yoga classes that much, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't so much of a thing, you know, that, you know, if you, if you were part of the ashram, it's like people in the ashram didn't like really go to the public yoga classes, you know, it wasn't, it's like you kind of had your own life, you were living and, and you didn't like attend classes really, or other people's classes, maybe you taught classes, but you know, the other teachers, teachers, if you're a teacher, you didn't go to someone else's class. You know, That's that just was really done, you know. And so, you know, you do your, your yoga set at sadhana or whatever, and, and but, you know, and maybe your own personal meditation. But, you know, I don't feel, you know, and, and you know, there are times when I, my sadhana wasn't all that, that regular. So, <laughs> you know, I guess I didn't really have that regular yoga practice myself, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, you had mentioned later on, like getting back into it and realizing, oh, I am enjoying this again, and then starting yeah, right. to and, yeah, So it just right. sounded like there were gaps, and that makes sense. Yeah, there definitely were, especially during the Montessori years. You know, I was kind of, you know, had kind of let it go quite a bit, and okay. then, um, you know, I think I did kind of get more, more inspired to to get back into the teaching and the yoga itself. So. Um, but then, you know, is the, the, the teacher training thing kind of ramped up, then it just didn't feel like that's where I wanted to go. Um, so, you know, I just, um, you know, I mean, at that point, I, I started feeling like um, maybe I should pursue something else. You know, meanwhile, I, I had actually, I gone to New Mexico for a... Um, training in pregnancy yoga that was the first official one. Uh, I mean, I like teaching the pregnancy and the mommy and me and the kids yoga because it was so kind of creative and you could do kind of your own thing with it. You know, you didn't have to follow the follow prescription. You know, you could you could kind of make things up or put things together yourself. And um, but then there was this the official now pregnancy class that had apparently, you know, yoga budget had, had you know, decided that he was going to do a, a pregnancy uh, course that, you know, after people had told him, asked him to do it, you know, because they've been teaching pregnancy yoga for years and years, but it was, you know, like Tan and Tan and Car had made a manual and all that, but it had never been officially sanctioned by KRI and all that. So this was the first additionally sanctioned KRI one. So, so I decided to go to that, that training course in New Mexico uh, the summer of 2004, I believe. And um, that's where I met my my uh, future husband, uh, Sri Artar, who was actually at the uh, children's camp at the time. And we were kind of um, introduced by our friend Atma, who <laughs> put us together. But anyway, uh, so I, I met him. He came out to Phoenix after that, and we... Um, ended up getting married in the December of 2004, shortly after Yogi Bhajan passed away. Um, so, but... Were you, um, were you a arranged marriage, or you guys just... No, we had, yeah, we had decided, you know, he, 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 we had kind of met, and then we were talking on the phone, and then he decided he'd come out to Phoenix, and then, um, you know, we decided that it was... I was kind of feeling like I wanted to get married again. And, you know, at this point, I was still very much all in with the Dharma. And he was a very, you know, Dharmic kind of person and, and you know, did a 
saw it every day and all, all that kind of thing. So I was like, huh, well, this seems like a good, a good situation. So can, you, uh, can I pause you? Can you give us a yeah. little perspective? Just because I know you, I, I can ask these questions. <laughs> By this time, um, you know, you, you, your ex has moved on. He's not in the Dharma. Your son, right? He's probably cut his hair by now. Um, can you just give us a sense of like how you felt? You're fully entrenched in the Dharma. You yeah. just had a, you know, you had your daughter and you're raising her, but but then your your ex has moved on and your son is making different choices. Like, what's your inner feeling of these things happening? Um. Okay. So because right, yeah. this is the 90s. I mean, in the 90s, I yeah. left Phoenix. So there were changes right. happening around you is my point. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, it was like he, he'd kind of been in and out of things. You know, he'd gone to, um, he got, he'd, he'd actually done one of the master's touch trainings himself. He'd gone to Italy. He'd gotten involved in something number science and close to the Dave thing. Okay. I've done a lot with that. Um then you know he was actually at that point living in phoenix he'd met this one girl named Michaela, and they were together they were wanting to get married um Gidabani was i mean she she you know from early on she she loved spending time with her dad on in the summers and you know she was he, he was like you know her fun parent and she wanted to be with him and you know, she would go to Hawaii, wherever he was, and spend the summer with him, and that was like her, her, you know, her, her wonderful time. And I, you know, at the time, I was kind of like, mm, you know, and he gave her another name. He called her Mele, and I was like, no, that's not her name. And but you know, I mean, now when I when I think of it, I I am very grateful that yeah, she had that perspective. She had a father that she was close to. That was very, you know, good. Good father attentive to her. Both of them, you know, he was a great father. Is a great father to both of them, and um, you know, that gave him another view of the world besides Dharma. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you know he never wanted to be in an ashram. Uh, you know, three H O business. He, you know, that was never on his thing. Like, oh. You know, don't go to college. Go to go to <laughs> just just become. You know, work for one of our our businesses. Go to work for call security or this or that. It's like he he did go to college. He never quite finished, but then he started his own business. And so you know, he was very independent. And then you know, she the same. You know, she had her idea about what she wanted to do. Went to college and studied. And you know, so yeah, I just love that that they are their own people. That they do what they want to do. And I you know I. Definitely, I'm grateful to Baba for giving them that perspective on the world too. That yeah, it's not all about this thing. I'm sorry if I if I you know tried to indoctrinate him, which I didn't that much, you know, but I'm sure I did some. But, well, you know. I want to yeah, I want to just point out you were. It sounds like you were very um, putting your relationship with your children and your unconditional love in whatever choices they were making, that they had their free will and you just supported them in that process. And of course, that's what I remember watching because we were always still close to, you know, to your kids. Um, yeah. But that well, they were like, making different choices that, you know, they yeah. like whether it's wearing your hair down or cutting your hair or just, or not dating somebody that's a Sikh or whatever the choices are to be a mom that's fully chosen a lifestyle and watch your kids make other choices. There has to be something inside about that. That's, 
that's yeah yeah well well one thing that <laughs> i do kind of regret was uh when uh Gibisongin and mikhail they decided they wanted to get married after being together for a little while for a few years i guess and they so then he he says well, well mom we're you know we were we're uh want to get married and you know we want to get married in the in the gudwara and you know in the i guess it was, they wanted to get married in the new gudwara which wasn't even open yet at the time but i guess they thought it would <laughs> would be open at the time i don't remember but but um you know so i was kind of like really you know because <laughs> you know i didn't think that you know he was i didn't think he had been really aligned with being a sikh and you know she definitely wasn't and and so I was kind of like sort of judgmental about it, like, well, why do you want to get married in Gudwara? You know, you're not, you know, and this and that. And so, you know, I said, well, go talk to Solsing. And, you know, and Solsing said, well, you should come and read from the Guru and this and that. And, and I, you know, so anyway, it, it, that ended up kind of being like a big, um, they decided they got turned off by the whole thing and they didn't want to do it, you know. And, you know, then they were really mad at me because I was, and so they wanted to speak to me for a while. <laughs> because I was, you know, so I I can see how I was like, you know, a little bit too judgmental about that. You know, if they want to get married there, why not? You know, whatever. You know, so so I ended up, they ended up going going getting married in Hawaii, which was that was kind of my payback because I was like, oh well, we're gonna get married in Hawaii with Baba <laughs> and, and and his girlfriend, and you know, and like. Yeah, the good guys. Yeah, the bad guys. And so, mm. so uh, you know, so so I I went with a wedding, but it was it was quite a quite an ordeal for me to actually go there because I felt like they were still really mad at me. Mm. <laughs> but but their 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 marriage didn't last anyway beyond like a year or so. So yeah, go figure. Okay. But <laughs> but anyway, and then you know, Gudabani, she uh, when she decided. To, um, you know, she hadn't really wanted to go to India. She was in, um, you know, she she was in middle school, and then I kind of gave her the option. I I actually sent her over to India with with Sadkar to visit when her kids were over there one one uh, spring break to see if she wanted to go there, to see if she liked it, if it was something that she would want to do. So she went over there, and then she came back and said, "Yeah, she would like to." So we decided. We would send her in um, in her first, like her freshman year, or she was in like ninth grade. Um, so she went for a year. I actually went over and visited her during her grade too, and spent some time over there. And um, so she, you know, it seemed like it was okay. But then, when it came time for her to go back, she refused. She was like, no. <laughs> I'm not going back, and and was it you know she never would really tell me exactly why, but you know she's like no I'm not going back there, and so I don't know you know it was some kind of thing that she decided she didn't she wanted to do it so, so she was she was uh, home after that and finished high school in Phoenix at, at a kind of alternative type of high school, or college so that so she it's like it was in in. In India for seven years, she was in. She was there for only one year. Okay. There, and of course, it was different. And totally different eras too. Different situation, of course. Yeah. So, Very different yeah. eras, but not necessarily such different situations. It yeah. Sounds. But she, I mean, she was funny because she's like, before she went, she said, 
well, I'm going to cut my hair before I go. <laughs> He says, I know I'm not going to be able to do it when I get there. So he says, I'm going to cut my hair before I go. So I was like, well, okay, it's your hair. You know, and I was going to tell her she could cut her hair. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, truthfully, along the way, I had trimmed my hair a few times myself. You know, I was like, you know, my hair's getting too long. It's getting straggly. I know I was going to trim it, you know. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. You know, I mean, I kind of, I, I guess over the years, I, you know, it was kind of back and forth. There are many times during, during my time in the Dharma, I would, I would just feel like I'm done with this, you know. I just want to be a normal person. I don't want anyone else's crap, you know. I just want to, but, you know, I know it, it never quite, I was never quite able to, to do it, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason. You know, I mean, it just, I was always drawn back in somehow. You know, I'd go to back to ladies' camp or something, and you know, drink the Kool Aid some more. It was like, yeah, here I am, back, back again. And plus, you know, the whole the whole idea of commitment, and I kind of took that very seriously. It was like, I committed to this. I gave my word. You know, I took on it. I this and that, and and you know, I can't go back on my word. It's not. Um, you know, it's plus the the idea of the spiritual teacher. I mean, that was drummed into us. That you know, you this is your spiritual teacher. If you don't follow your spirit teach, spiritual teacher, then you know you're going to be damned. You know you're going to have to come back 8.5 million lifetimes if you don't do it this time. If you don't do it right, and so I kind of believe that. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's my fear. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, well, I'm I'm here now, but you know, I don't want to be damned for eternity. So I got to do the right thing. So you know. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, you know, I, I did, I did though kind of when, when I saw people coming in later and, you know, just kind of getting in, you know, as, as time went on and they would get in and just kind of do, do the yoga and, you know, even go through the teacher training, but they weren't necessarily wanting to become Sikhs, you know, I kind of like was a little envious of them because I was like, well, you know, I had to take on the whole package, you know, like, like <laughs> I you know, why couldn't I just come and do the yoga? <laughs> but, you know, at the time when I got in, it's like you had to do the whole thing. It was part of the package. You had to be a seat. You had to get the spiritual. You had to do that. You had to, you know, and then, you know, you were, if you left, then you were, you know, shunned and you were a bad person and, you know, yeah. you were going to be. So that it's like, you know, it's like it was kind of ironic because like Sikhs, you know, we embrace every other religion. It's all fine. You know, we we every path is great, and all religions are the, are equal. But if you're if you decided you're going to do it and be part of this, then if you decide you're going to leave, then no, that's not okay. You know, you're <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. So you're horrible. You know. You'll turn into a cockroach. You're off the yeah, yeah. chakra. Yeah. Right, all that. You know, so. You know, it was. Uh, I, I guess I, I. That was one of the things that kept me there. Kept me. Kept me for so long. Is just kind of feeling that that pressure of, of you know, I kind of fulfilled commitment and you know, not seeing that, not seeing what was going on behind the scenes and thinking that things were okay. You know, it's like I and the, the bad things that were just me, you know, it's like, if I couldn't live up to it, it was, it was all on me, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that there's anything wrong 
outside of me. You know, I had to just be a better person. I had to be a, a better sadhana. I had to do this and that, you know. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but then eventually, I, you know, to con- kind of continue with my story with my, um, my career, I, I you know, as I was feeling like the, the teaching of yoga was kind of dwindling. It was not as, you know, I didn't want to follow the teacher training route of becoming the teacher trainer. And, you know, some of my classes seemed to be sort of dwindling for one reason or another. And I just, I, I, I want to try something else, you know. I So I actually worked with a life coach and I and I kind of explored different options for careers and was suggested that I you know I'd always kind of wanted to continue my education so I came up with the idea of uh, um, I guess what I came to as a person was occupational therapy was what you know you take these these little course these little tests and it, you know what what are you suited to <laughs> and that was the only thing that kind of seemed good to me. And so then I, I one of my yoga students, um, I was talking to her about it, one of my long, long-time yoga students, I was telling her that I was thinking of doing this. And she said, oh, you know what? One of my friends has been doing this um, speech therapy course, you know, where you can become a speech therapy assistant. And, you know, it's a two-year community college or, you know, shorter program. And and so I thought, wow, that's, I've always been interested in speech therapy. And I hadn't discovered that in my research. And so I looked into it, and I uh, found that there was a there was a course um, at one of the local community colleges that I could do. And so I decided, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So I, for next school, I had to get my associate's degree because I had not, you know, finished college when way back when. <laughs> and I got finished my my course and got my license. And this was like 19, 2010 when I actually. Finally got certified, and so you're uh, you're married for your second time at this point. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. okay. yeah, and um, right, and so I uh, started working as a speech therapist. First, got a job at the school and didn't like that so much, and then ended up doing home home health, where we we uh, go and work with people in their homes, and so that's what I've been doing for the last. 10 years or so, and I, I love it, you know, <laughs> it's like, I wish I discovered this earlier in life, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I had to transition to doing it, um, health therapy where during the COVID time, and now I'm kind of transitioning a little bit back into doing one person visits, but, you know, it's, um, that's been a, a good transition for me. I want to say um, congratulations for your own career yeah. after so many years, yeah. it's a very cur- uh, courageous choice. Yeah. to do that, so, and and I, to do that. And, you know I mean I feel grateful that I am not that you know once all the revelations came and all that you know and I'll go into that um shortly but you know that I I wasn't connected like so many people were so connected and, and tied into the web financially you know in in whatever way that they had to you know the yoga teaching was their livelihood was their identity you know, or, and, and, you know, it's hard to give that up. That's your whole identity. So I feel very blessed and fortunate that I was able to move away from that to change my identity into something, identify with something else as my, as my career path. Mm-hmm. And that I wasn't dependent on that to, and felt like, you know, oh, I have to somehow 
uh, somehow maintain that, even though all these things are coming out that it's not really what it was expected to be. <laughs> right. So, so you know, I, I feel blessed and fortunate that that um, I was able to do that. So. So, so bring us to 2020, you know, it's like your yeah. life's fully entrenched. You are practicing Sikh Dharma. You've just married somebody else who's fully in Sikh Dharma. Your yeah. kids are obviously making their own choices, but there's a strong connection. Yeah. You know, your oldest son, I mean, he, he had practiced and learned from Guru Dave Singh with Satnam Rasayan. So it's like they're still connected to the lifestyle, but also making their own choices in the world. But you are fully wearing white, turban, yeah. Sikh Dharma in, right? 2020 happens, did you immediately read Premka? No, <clears throat> I did not. I uh, First I heard about it, we, we had, um, you know, we, we for years and years, um, Mayor Karen Solsing had chanting at their house on Friday nights, you know, every Friday night, and you were there, you've been to that, and um, um, I often would would be there and lead the chanting, or we'd always go there, even even if we weren't meeting. And um, someone mentioned there, well, there's this book, you know, that came out about, you know, that that um, Ramka, Thomas Dyson, and about you know all these things, Yogi Bhajan, and and you know someone brought it up, and we were like, what? No, I couldn't be right. You know that, you know. <laughs> and you know, so I, you know, I heard things before about people, you know, there was someone who came to Phoenix, a young woman who had said that she had had, you know, bad experiences with him and I'd heard about it, but I was like, it just, you know, it wasn't part of my reality. You know, it's like, I think that if you're, you know, if, if, if you hear something and it doesn't fit with your worldview and your reality, you just kind of discount it. it yeah, it's it called cognitive it. dissonance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right, so I, you know, I, everything, but it just, I, you know, it's like, no, I, I, I can't, I can't take that in. I, it's, it's not, it doesn't jive with my reality. And so, um, you know, I heard things, but then, you know, when people started telling, talking, like um, Mayor, one formerly known as Mayor Carr, who's now just Mayor, my good friend <laughs> in Phoenix, you know. Uh, she she kept kind of sending me things and saying, well, you know, I I get this email from, um, you know, about that cousin who, you know, was telling about something that happened to her. And then, and you know, then she said, and I've been on the Zoom call with so-and-so. And, and, um, and, you know, then she sent me the uh, link to, uh, Philip DeSlip's interview with Shabbat Singh when he talked about, you know, his his uh, research into yoga and, and, and Kundalini yoga and yoga and all that. And so I, you know, it's kind of like, well, I, I wasn't quite ready to hear some of it, you know. It just wasn't, you know, I kind of, it took me a while, you know. But then eventually, you know, as the months went on, I kind of let it in a little bit. And then, you know, through also my son, you know, he said, he's, you know, I talked to him, I said, well, you know, talk about this, this book and stuff and what's going on. And he said, yeah, you know, my friends, I know these girls, you know, these girls that I grew up with, you know, they were victims, you know, and he, he told them they can, they were groomed and they were, you know, molested and this and that. And so he, 
he, you know, he said that it's true. You know, it's just really what happened, and then you gotta, you gotta look into it. So, um, you know, eventually, I, I uh, did read the book. I um, got into some of the Zoom calls, listening to the second gen tell their stories, and um, you know, got then I got involved in some of the the Facebook groups that uh, of people telling their stories. Um, I guess it wasn't until like mid mid um, summer, for maybe later summer. I mean, I kind of was, I I knew it all. I, I actually went to we went to New Mexico and visited my son. I talked to him a lot about it then. Um, but you know, I was still wearing a turban and stuff. And then then my husband decided to go back to New Mexico. I think in August to to visit his son for a while. And so I had this space, you know where I could kind of explore and really <laughs> figure things out on my own. So I, you know, because with him, he's like, you get a new sign every morning, and he reads all his mommies, and he's like totally into the program. And, you know, I, I had taken down pictures of Yogi Bhajan and stuff, and first he was like, well, what is going on? And then, you know, I told him, and he's like, okay, but, you know, it's still, you know, don't throw out the baby with the bad frog kind of thing, and, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to look into it more more deeply, and so I, you know, this time I, you know, I started like looking at videos and you know interviews with Pamela and and um, looking into Facebook groups and and some of the Zoom calls, and I finally read um, Pamela's book, and you know, I was like, wow, you know, this is not something I want to be part of anymore. And so I, you know, I, I made the decision then that I, yeah, I'm not going to wear a white turban anymore. I'm not going to, um, I, I really don't want to be associated with it anymore. You know, it's not, it, this is horrendous. And I, so, but, you know, knowing my husband that he's, um, you know, he's, he's kind of going to do his thing no matter what, you know, I, I had to stand my ground and say what I'm going to do. So you know, and so I, I kind of just, just reflected, and I, I was doing a lot of journaling at the time, and I still do journaling every day almost, and I, you know, I just decided that, um, you know, there's certain things that I will do, certain things I won't do. Like I refuse to chant Om Namo, Gurudev Namo anymore. I will chant Agnirvana Bay because that's from Sri Guru That's pretty neutral. I. So what I do, I Japji's okay. I said I'll do Japji with him because we do that. I, you know, back and forth tantric style Japji. Japji is a is universal. I think it's a very high vibrational sound current. That's not it's that, that's not anything to do with YB or anything. You know, <laughs> I can do Japji. So so you know now I do I do Japji with him. I do my yoga, which is my hybrid yoga. I do what feels good. Or stretch, I know. I don't do prayers. I don't do this. Or that. I do my yoga, and then I love to chant Mamya Kankar. Like you said, I love that mantra still. Me too. I love it. You know, it. It. You know, I chant that. After that, I'm gone. You know, he does the rest of the Aquarian sadhana. I leave the room. I go in my journal. I. 
I um, read my Eckhart Tolle or my Deepak Chopra or whatever, you know, here <laughs> I go for a walk, you know, do my thing, you know, and so I, um, you know, it's, I guess I, you know, it, it's still evolving, but I, I just kind of feel like, wow, you know, I'm more myself. And I, you know, I, and I told him, I said, well, I'm not, I'm not a Sikh anymore. I'm not Jewish anymore. And, you know, and I, he says, well, you know, as long as you're a good person and you're wanting to live in, in higher consciousness. And I said, I don't really like that term, higher consciousness. <laughs> it's a trigger, that's a trigger concept. But anyway, it's, you know, <laughs> I've heard that too many times. But, um, but um, you know, he said, that's, that's fine. So, you know, we've kind of agreed to disagree in those ways. Like, hmm. you know, he can do his thing. And, you know, I mean, eventually, I I guess I would hope that maybe he would be willing to look into things a little more. You know, I kind of, in a way, we kind of live separate lives in that, that I, you know, I mean, I listened to all your podcasts, and I told him about them, and he's like, I'm interested in them. And, um, you know, he... He still feels like he's, uh, you know, a full-on Sikh and everything, and wants to do his bodies, and that's what is uh, works for him. Sure. So, yeah, if that's works for him, fine. And if he, if he can, you know, if uh, he can accept what works, that I can be my own person too. That's sure. that's fine for now. So, but um, yeah. Anyway, you know, after after that, the the revelations, you know, I just. I feel like it was just a total eye opener to me that that you know this is I you know I'm just I mean amazing that I could have lived that way for so long and not really seeing what was going on but you know it, like I said I mean, it, it wasn't a horrible thing I, I don't feel like I want to I was a victim I don't feel like I want to blame anybody that you know uh, it was their fault or whatever. I everything I did, I did in my own free will. Even though you know there were influences and there were maybe some some uh, brainwashing, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. But I <laughs> we wanna we wanna believe it's free will. But I really want to point out that the picture you painted of what that time was like, uh-huh. it was kind of a built-in subjugated will meaning give up your will in order to be a part of this. And so I do honor and respect that, that like you're not speaking to, I have a victim story and this my whole life was bad, but more that there was lots of good interwoven with, wow, how did this go on so long? And I never really looked at the larger schemata of the things taking place. I just committed and I stayed with that commitment. And it's honorable, Bibi Bunny. It's honorable, mm-hmm. it's your dedication, right? And then at the same time, how dedication and commitment can make us blind. Yeah, for sure. So like, wow. And, <laughs> and to give us a glimpse into you right now, into this place where you've let yourself be penetrated open, you've let yourself see, and the complexity of being in a relationship, a committed marriage where your husband's making different choices and you're making different choices. And there's not an answer to that right now. It's just yeah. you're you're playing in this space that says, I'm going to continue to discover who I am beyond this. And we'll yeah. see how we can hold each other. Yeah. And also, like, one of the great gifts, I think, now is also just feeling like the reconnection to all these people, like, who just you know, drifted away over the years. And now it's like, now, like, oh, 
we can we're kind of like coming back and people they're part of these groups on Facebook and I've talked to people who you know I hadn't talked to in years and and just kind of finding that common ground with people again or even people that I did kind of know in the Dharma but now you know I'm getting to know better through them everyone kind of more being themselves and being authentic and not just being paying this role of being the dharmic person mm-hmm. you know so it's it's just kind of such a gift of expansion I feel just to you know feel the world is is broadening rather than being so so insular so yeah it's expanding yeah. and deepening where there's a level of depth yeah. where things can be talked about that were never talked about and yeah you know there's realness that happens there and I want to also point out that your story is so amazing that way. The amount of people you knew from early on before they became the next phase of who they were in the Dharma. <laughs> so many names you mentioned through the different stages yeah. and how significant that is. Like, you know, it just kind of became something more and more and more and more. And your story reflects that in that after all these years, this veil was finally just completely pulled off. And my curiosity that's showing up around that is when you read the book, Premka, I mean, it had to have been a level of nostalgia for you because of the place it brings you back during those same era. Did it... Did it oh, bring up yeah. memories that you didn't oh, ever yeah. let yourself think about? Um, I don't know. I mean, I you know definitely it, it brought back things that I had you know kind of been been aware of, but hadn't really known what was going on. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely you know definitely rang a lot of <laughs> a lot of bells and things that I you know knew had been been around and had seen but hadn't really seen so mm-hmm. yeah uh, it was uh it was uh you know because I, I think i was actually in la around the time when she was leaving i i kind of remember that it was at the time when i was staying at the estate i think that was about the time that she she was leaving and um you know i um of course didn't really know what was going on <laughs> you know it's just like oh she's leaving and, you know so, so when people left like when people left whether it was whoever was leaving there was my mom or different people and, and Premka or different people I mean lots of people over your era kind of morphed either into something or nothing and then left do you recall your state or thinking at that time or it was just kind of like whatever YB said well, kind of. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't ever feel like they were, they were bad people. And I, I always felt like, well, you know, they kind of made that choice and, you know, people can make choices and leave, you know, it's like you can move on with your life. It's not a bad thing. If you've got been this, this is a stage of your life and they wanted to move on to something else. That's okay. You know, it was okay with me. I, I wasn't judgmental of them, but on the other hand, I wasn't going to seek them out, really. I mean, I think in a way, I kind of felt a little bit, you know, um, like I maybe afraid to, to look into it too much because of what it might reveal. Mm. You know, because I remember when, like, when um, Lana used to be Shakta, 
you know, I, I had done the radiant child training and everything and gotten her emails and stuff because I taught children's yoga for so long. And she, you know, she went had a thing when she was leaving and she sort of was talking about changing her identity and cutting her hair. And, and she had her story up there, but I didn't, like, I didn't try to somehow, I, I wasn't ready to read her story. You know, it's kind of like, I, you know, I thought maybe, you know, maybe it would be something that would, you know, be too, too much of a, um, you know, not not in sync with my reality. I wasn't ready to, to mm -hmm. see beyond that, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. And I want to just kind of point out for all of us that just like how common that is, you know, it's like when we yeah. get it's like so entrenched in just like one view of something and not letting our own veil or matrix get pierced to realize that there's just, there's a whole nother lens and story that's taking place and that, that I really feel like that was really breeded within the culture and community you know like I think it's so easy to take it as like that's just what I did but no that was like what we all got taught like I remember like somebody would be like oh read this and it's like oh no I'm good no no I, I get the gist of that you know what I mean as if we and I feel like that was a part of the breeding around if you t listen to the people doing the thing off the path you're going to be influenced. And that said enough times becomes a consciousness where you're kind of like, well, yeah, they can do whatever, but I'm not going to have an authentic conversation with you because I don't actually want to know what's actually going on for you. Because if I actually know what's going on for you, I might actually have to feel something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's true. <laughs> yeah. And again, your story paints that because it's like, hmm, you you were right there. It's like, wow, just once it got pierced, you were like, oh no, these things weren't for me for a long time. I'm just ready to really go after <laughs> the person I've I've slowly been following in your way. Like you were, you were always kind of finding something that was like, hmm, something's not right for me, but okay, I'll stay because I made a commitment. And it was just kind of like always acquiescing to the larger. And suddenly when that larger was gone, it's like, no more, I'm not acquiescing. I'm choosing me and I'm going to feel what this feels like. I'm going to explore. I'm going to play. I'm going to try new things. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Way to wear your red scarf. Okay. Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, have, I haven't had the courage to cut my hair fully yet. And I always feel like. <laughs> Listen, this is real. This is real. I mean, I know I had the the thought of it was not easy, you know, and, and then add style to it. Once I got it cut, that was a whole nother barrier. I mean, we're talking about like stages of major internal psychological barriers around choices that for a lot of people aren't that big of a deal choices, but from our, from our ethos, these are big deals. So yeah. I commend hey. you. I say play and enjoy and have fun with your process, which it sounds like you are. Yeah. Okay. What, um, before we go into your song, is there anything more you want to say to listeners to wrap up your, your story? Um, uh, yes, I think just the idea, the idea of, of commitment, um, you know, commitment is, it's good to be committed, but commit to just commit to yourself. I mean, don't, don't, the idea of committing to something outside of yourself, to some, you know, organization, some other person, some lifestyle. I mean, just it's not, 
you know, it's a trap. You know, I, I, I believe that, you know, you need to just commit to your own inner guidance, you know, and, and listen to that, you know, and if you get trapped into other, other things, you know, you're not going to be authentic and true to yourself. So I think um, that's, that's where the commitment should lie, not to something, something outside, something external, um, you know, that's, uh, that's um, not going to bring you fulfillment. So just commit to your own, own self, your own inner guidance. And, you know, there can be people that inspire you, people that, you know, you can take things from many different places, be open and think critically and, and uh, don't, don't be taken in by <laughs> just say, if, if anyone says this is the way, this is the one way, this is the best way, beware and run the other way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good reminder. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, it's been very special to have you here. Yeah. I know our families have been interwoven for our whole lives, my whole life, at least not your whole life, yeah. my whole life. And, um, <laughs> You know, knowing your kids like brothers and sisters and knowing them in their adult lives, all the things. Um, and then Baba Sirising was significant in my life in many ways, too. So it's like I find the web of our interconnectivity so beautiful, um, even in all its complexity and horror. Tell us about your song. Okay, so my song is I Can See Clearly Now. And I... Uh, this is a song I'm sure many people are familiar with. It's, um, I'll just read some of the lyrics because there aren't very many. <laughs> I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Gone are the dark clouds that made me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshine day. <laughs> oh, yes, I can make it now. The pain is gone. All of the bad feelings have disappeared. Here is that rainbow I've been praying for. It's going to be a bright, bright sunshine day. <laughs> and so the only thing, actually, the, the second line, if I were singing it, I would change that line, the one that says, I can see all obstacles in my way. I would say at this point in my life, there are no longer obstacles in my way. <laughs> and you know, even though I know there may be obstacles, to overcome, but I, at this point, I feel like the main obstacles have been have been removed, <laughs> and that kind of that that veil has been removed. And now, uh, you know, I, I I see a bright a bright future. You know, I I um, am looking forward to just you know growing and expanding. And you know, I mean, there's some people who say they want to like fix 3HO and all that stuff, and I to me, I have no interest in that. I'm, I'm like. That's the past. I'm moving on. <laughs> you know, no way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this is a, a song that was uh, sung by uh, Jimmy Cliff, actually written by a man named Johnny Nash, but um, it was a sure familiar song to many of you. So, enjoy. Thank you. Um, it sounds like you're finally doing your actual living yeah. meditation of liberation. <laughs> <laughs> way to go. Okay, here we go. Jimmy Cliff, I can see clearly now.
you so much. For copyrighted reasons, we don't share the whole song, but if you would like to hear the entire song of any episode, we have the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast um, playlist on Spotify, and the link is in the episode description. Jimmy Cliff, I can see clearly now. Beautiful song. Thank you, BB Bonnie. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your story, for giving us a glimpse into this incredible past that you've lived and this life that you've lived and um, a lens into the unveiling and the, the awakening process that you're in and you've been going through. I really appreciate you. And thank you so much for this wonderful podcast and keep going. And I am so proud of you for the wonderful, amazing woman that you have become. And I know that you're, Father would be very proud of you too. I'm sure he's looking down at you and saying, way to go. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. I feel that. I feel that and I am grateful for all my family living and yeah. dead. Well, folks, thank you so much. This concludes another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. If you'd like to contribute to this podcast, you can make a one-time or monthly donation at gurunishan.com forward slash uncomfortable conversations. Please also share this broadcast. Share this broadcast with someone that hasn't yet listened to an episode, and it's on all podcasting platforms, and the videos are housed on my YouTube channel. To be a guest on the podcast, please send an email to gn at gurunishan.com. You can subscribe and follow Support my work at gurunishan.com as well. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.